Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I don't like blood and guts, but I love them when they're lengthily Paul? Oh, good day to you, Matt. Oh, good sir. Oh, good sir. Good day. Good God. Good gosh. Oh, golly. Hey, Bebariba. Hey, Babariba. That's what it is. Hey, hey, Babariba. If you're joining this podcast just now, what are you thinking of it? <laughs> Do you like it? Do you like us? <laughs> How are you being served? <laughs> this is with Gorley and Rust. I'm Matt Gorley. Uh, this is Gorley with Gorley and Rust. I'm Paul Rust. <laughs> <laughs> this is the show where we talk, often at length, about horror movies in a what's called a cozy cast. A cozy, cozy cast. It's just easy listening podcasting where you can sit back. You can, you know what, do whatever you want while you're listening. We're not one of those podcasts that's like you have to sit down and close your eyes. <laughs> no. We, I mean, we know a lot. Most podcasts are like that. Yeah. The beginning a voice comes on, sit down, close your eyes, don't move a muscle. We're not like that. Looking at you, Michael Barbaro. <laughs> no, we, we are a podcast where we just want to just celebrate these films. Yeah. You know how in horror movies, sometimes there might be a, a crackling fire mm. or a big thick sweater somebody's wearing? That's what we like to focus yeah. on. Yeah, the cozy we, aspects. Yeah, in fact, you might even hear the ambient noises of birds chirping because we're recording this outdoors, which we started because of COVID, but are probably not just going to keep until it gets too hot to do so. Oh, now we just, we like it. Mm -hmm. it sounds like a uh, beautiful nature. Yeah. Nature is healing, as, really as they've is. been saying. And who needs healing more than horror movie victims? Ooh, especially um, our, our buddy Griffin Dunn in this movie. He needs some healing on that face, on that neck. Oh. We're, of course, talking about an American werewolf in London. Wow, this is exciting. Yeah, number nine in our series of 10 one-off movies, mm -hmm. Gordley. You chose this one. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you did. What a fun, fun, entertaining movie. I can't wait to talk about this thing. There's a lot to say. All of it. I think probably going to be good if I know you and me. I'm just guessing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good G-O-O-D-E with an umlaut over it. Now, that would make sense if any person who worked on this had the last name Good with an umlaut over it. If Matthew 
Good, who I believe was in Watchmen. If you're listening, A, thank you for listening. B, would you mind adding an umlaut to your name, which would then make it Gid, something like that? Gid, Gid. So listen, real quick, let's just tell you some of the things we got to tell you. We do a Patreon, and Mm -hmm. you can just go to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Russ. It's even in the show notes here. That's right. No umlauts. No umlauts. There, well, there's half an umlaut between Patreon and com, <laughs> and it's low. It fell down. A fell down half umlaut before the com. Yeah. Actually, our URL is with Gorley and Rust. S- s- wait. Patreon fallen umlaut com slash with Gorley and Rust. Yes. There you will find feature-length listen-along commentaries, Mm -hmm. mailbag episodes. There's a Discord there, which is really just like a a discussion forum where so many of our listeners have gathered to talk. It's very welcoming. I've Mm -hmm. gone on there a couple times. That's something I forget to plug enough because that's a whole community, a whole world, a whole cult. They've moved to a separate island. and Uh, Where friendship awaits. Yeah, that's right. Where friendship and, and shared love of horror films and beyond await. Everybody there has grown donkey ears and a tail, though. It is a lot of things are kind of converging into this island. Yeah. Ooh, that's a little bit of a, a kind of a werewolfy transformation that happens in old Pinocchio, huh? But oh, you get yeah. donkified. Yeah, he does. They shot him in a back alley of England, too, I think. <laughs> and then uh, just another thing to let you know that if you are uh, planning to listen to the Nightmare on Elm Street episodes or go back and revisit them, they will be going behind the paywall after this season there on Patreon. So feel, you know, fair warning if you want to give them a good listen before that happens and you don't, you're one of the listeners that wants to remain on the free side. Yeah, this would sort of be like the time between when Freddie was killed by the parents and uh, before he came and started mm. haunting kids in their nightmares, that kind of fallow period. Yeah, what was he doing? I, I think he was, well, no, as we found out in Freddy's Dead, he um, made a deal with those demon <laughs> worms that came and visited him. And he said, yes, yes, yes. In exchange, I will do your bidding so I can live on in nightmares. So I guess they were just in contractual negotiations through that. Oh, these deals can take a long time. Yeah, with lawyers. Who I think are the ultimate monsters. First thing we do, let's kill all the lawyers. (laughs) The most popular Shakespeare novelty shirt at any gift gift shop. Oh, boy. Of, like, Shakespeare festivals. What what play is that from? It's from one of the histories, like, one of the King Henrys. I can't remember which. But I just remember going to Ashland Shakespeare Festival in the late 90s, and people are like, have you seen this shirt? Look at this mug I got. First thing we do, let's kill all the lawyers. And the the people were going crazy for it. Ugh, Abani first kind of, like, I hate this kind of smarm or whatever, was, um... It, it, when I was like, let's say the summer of 93, because then as I was heading to the Omaha Zoo, I was reading Roger Ebert's review of Coneheads in the, in the newspaper. <laughs> That's what we were all doing uh, the summer of 93. And we, m- my friend Rick and I, we were looking at this gecko, like under some glass. And we heard a mom say to like another parent or something, gecko, lizard, <laughs> Michael Douglas's character in Wall Street was named Gordon Gecko. It was something like that. The one thing I remember her definitely going was, <laughs> think about it. <laughs> and then Rick and I 
for years on. Anytime we kind of like encounter somebody being kind of like too clever and pretentious or something, it's like, mm-hmm, think about it. <laughs> Directed by Oliver Stone. Think about it. Mm, think about it. He's He loves rock music. <laughs> Charlie Sheen, that gloss is worn off. Think about it. Think about it. Was this Elaine Boozler? I think it was the booze. The bo- <laughs> anyway, that's all you need to know to get that's started. That's all you need to know. All of this. That the- Elaine Boozler talked to me once at the Omazoo in 1993 when we were living in Coneheads Mania. Ah, and she was wearing a first thing we do, let's kill all the lawyers t-shirt. Think about it. <laughs> Think about that line. Okay. <laughs> well, it's 1981. John Landis, our director, has written the script for uh, American Werewolf London, though I think it had been around for a long time, like eight years or something. Like yeah, that. I think he wrote it in the, 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 got the idea in the late 60s. Is uh, that true? That, yeah, that long ago? Yeah, I think he was working as a, a gopher on Kelly's Heroes. Oh, that's right. A movie that is near and dear to my heart. Yeah, I've never seen it, but you love your Men on a Mission movie. Yeah. Um, where does that stack up, Kelly's Heroes? Now, I will say I haven't seen it in a long time. And I have found that when I revisit these movies, they're very different than I remember them. Mm-hmm. So I remember kind of liking it, but I guarantee you I'd watch it now and go, I loved that. Just because yes. the slower 70s ones, when I was younger, I was I think I was kind of like wanted the Saving Private Ryan kind of action. Now I just like, take your time. If Yes. If you don't want to talk or shoot anyone for a good 40 minutes, I'm okay with that. Yeah. So I want to know what's on these guys' minds yeah. before they blow somebody away. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think he was backpacking through there and then got the idea. And then um, what I like a, a lot about this movie is that it does seem to be a, a passion project where somebody gets the success and clout to make whatever movie they want however they want and uh even though this is like a genre movie so it's not like it's not completely anti-audience yeah obviously you go i'm gonna make a werewolf movie it stands to make a profit (laughs) it's not like a complete passion project but there's definitely some uh really kind of auteur level weird stuff that happens in this movie that you would imagine if somebody wasn't completely getting their way, some of the stuff would be sanded down. Yeah. Like this movie's still pretty far out there in terms of like the tones it's putting an audience through that I, I still think it would make an, uh, a studio nervous. I think you're right. And it's, I'm trying to think of any movie like this because we just recorded a mailbag episode and we talked about like the best horror comedy. Yeah. And this probably would be my pick. And you were mentioning that. Who said that? Thing. Tell us that quote. Oh again. yeah. Uh, so so we were just talking about uh, in that mailbag about uh, uh w- way back as far as Evan Costello and Frankenstein. It seems like the rule got set where it's like for a horror comedy, uh, you make the funny parts as funny as possible, the comedy as comedy as possible, and you make the horror as scary as possible, and uh, you don't let the two necessarily mix. Mm. You don't make the monster scary uh, when he's supposed to be scary add in a joke because that would make him less scary and it kind of ruined some of the comedy moments if you were i mean i don't know about that the comedy all seems to be a little fueled by dark humor but like, anyway imagine if dr loomis came up to michael myers and kicked him in the nuts and he put his hands down his nuts and 
<laughs> yeah, then you see in Michael Myers' mask, his eyes cross. <laughs> and the first time he ever talks, it's like, hey, that really hurt there. <laughs> What's up with your voice? I got kicked in the nuts, but I also do just talk like this. <laughs> yeah, I've always talked like this. Why do you think I'm quiet all the time? Dude? It's not going to scare anybody. You got any dog? I also, when he gets kicked, he's like, you kicked me in the Halloween twos. <laughs> There's two Halloween too, so that's right. I have four nuts. Why four do you think my nuts? voice is so high? Wait, it should be lower, but they're tiny. Even the four nuts together don't make full two nuts, so that's why his voice is still high. They're like very, very tiny pebbles. Pebbles? Yeah. What was this? A Flintstones crossover? Yes, it is. Oh, great, Will you Smith. Give it a thumbs up. He loves it. Uh, for those of you who are listening for the first time, uh, Will Smith is our uh, tech guy. He's Will's a producer, yeah. Producer, I mean, he's the producer. engineer producer. He's kind of one of those, does it all. He's big into podcasting. Yeah. He and came to us and said, I got an idea for a show. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm a producer. I'm not a Diaz man. He's a Don Black, Bruckheimer kind of guy for produce, for podcasts. Yeah, and we didn't even know, um, we didn't like horror movies. It, Will yeah. was the thing. He's like, I think if you guys just talked about horror movies, this is maybe a... Uh, an area of movies people like to hear people talk about. Yeah. Watch. And then he gave us like sort of five scary movies. I don't yeah. think we made through them through any of them. We were too scared. Right. But Will was like, trust me, trust me. Talk about these movies. And mm. now here we are. He was right. And you yeah. don't say no to Will Smith. Mm -mm. So anyway, this is a horror comedy that is <laughs> unlike any other movie that I can really think of. Yeah, I, but this is your, you when we answered that question, was your favorite because it does seem to be the scary parts are scary and the funny parts are funny. And legitimately so. Yeah. I think for the most part, you know, there's some Definitely. stuff that, like, I think when you get to, like, the full-fledged werewolf at times, mm -hmm. looks a little cuddlier than I'd like it <laughs> yeah, to be. Like yeah, a little dodgy, but, but yeah. I, but I also love that. Yeah. There's times when I just, I do want to cuddle up with it because it looks like a big dog. Ooh, when he finds that wolf in the, uh, the werewolf in the porno theater, I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't know, maybe want to just put my face down on that little wolfie yeah yeah smoke a jay snuggle <laughs> up with a wolf what's wrong with that <laughs> and then i guess i chose this because this is a movie i hadn't seen in a long time but mm -hmm. i knew that i liked but i also think i remember this as being the first horror movie i watched as a kid that i felt safe watching as a horror movie fun because my mom had it on and i watched it and i was like this is definitely a horror movie because like it was really gory and I was, I was ready to be afraid like I was for the Halloween or the Brood, but found like the humor really helped, ah. but also didn't take away from the horror like you're saying. Yeah. So, but it kind of like gave me enough of a peak in a valley that I could get through the whole thing as opposed to like really feel afraid. That's cool. Gosh, the first time you can confidently watch a horror movie when you're a kid feels really good. Do you know what yours might huh. have been? Mine might have been. Golly, golly. Golly, golly? I was a little too old because I was a teenager by this point, so it doesn't exactly fit. But I remember Scream being really fun because mm. I was just like, I got this. I'm older now yeah. and I'm watching horror movies made for me. It yeah. just felt like really cool. I French kiss. I know what's I had it. up. Yeah. When I seen Scream, I had it French kiss. And I remember the first time I came back home from my homecoming date, my sister, my middle sister asked me in front of my mom did you guys kiss at the end i was like oh 
And then she's like, did you French kiss? Oh like, my God. Sisters live to torment their little brothers. With yeah, questions they really like that. do. Um, Bold question. Uh, Personal. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Fresh. Also, when you were talking about the horror comedy thing and like how you felt eased and you could kind of like uh, ride the ride a little bit with yeah. that stuff. It also, when I was watching this movie, it is, I'm not the first person to say this at all, but just like horror and comedy are so uniquely fitted together because yeah. they're both, a lot of times the editing construction is the mm -hmm. same, like the setups are all the same, and then it's all about getting a visceral impact reaction from the audience. Yeah, surprise, build up, all that. And yeah. that's tough shit because it's like... Tough shit, comedy. Yeah, well, because it's like English patient. What do you have to worry at all about any sort of reaction the audience gets? You get maybe at most like, I hope somebody scratches their chin and thinks and ponders. the Like that's the only like physical. Re like when you make a horror comedy, you're going, I'm trying to scare people and I'm trying to make them laugh. And if you fail on both of those, you're you're effed. But if you pull them off, what, what a wizard. Then English Patient still wins the Academy Award. When do horror comedies ever, horrors or comedy in general, almost never get recognized for being good films? You've got The Exorcist, The Shining, Psycho, Get Out. And I add to that too, are uh, rarely, they rarely get recognized when they're great, but they're rarely great. Yeah, that's true. How often does a horror uh, movie really, really rattle you? And how often does a comedy really, really make you laugh? But when they do, you're so appreciative. I'm more appreciative of those experiences and yeah, I guess than anything else. Get really. Out kind of is that way. And this movie at least was recognized because this was the first year that they gave an Academy Award for makeup. Really? And oh, it won. Yeah. Oh, wow. Gosh, Rick Baker getting to win the first makeup Oscar is pretty cool. That feels good, huh? Yeah. yeah. Um, um, the only other person who would maybe be like, hey, wait for me. Is who's the Dick yeah. Morris is the old Clinton uh, uh, advisor? Who am I thinking of? The guy who did all of the Exorcist and um. Oh God! Right, it is Dick though, isn't it? Creature from the Black Lagoon, like far back. <sighs> Some real horror heads are just. Uh, you know, uh, I have to admit something that I love makeup in movies, and I'm I'm very visually cataloged everything, but I I do really poorly Dick with Smith. I'm going to guess yeah. that before. I do okay. poorly with the names and who's like Rick Baker, Stan Winston, Dick Smith, it Tom Dick Savini, Smith. I think is the one that I know the most uh -huh. just because his name's so unique. Yeah. But I, I do get them all mixed. Like Stan Winston and Rick Baker are two names that don't, they're just so generic that they don't know, lock yeah. into me. And they kind of work with the same people and yeah. kind of crossover. Yeah. Like, they cross into franchises and stuff. Yeah, Michael Jackson did Thriller with Rick Baker, but then did this movie Ghosts with Stan Winston. Michael Jackson did a movie called Ghosts? Yeah. Really? It's like a 25-minute long movie. It came out maybe in the late 90s during this kind of weird period. Yes, Michael Jackson's weird period. The late 90s is the <laughs> only time he was ever got totally weird. Uh, I've watched it. It's... You know what? I think Mick Garris maybe directs it or was supposed to, but it's um, it's bad, but not in the Michael Jackson bad way. <laughs> but it's also like he's playing a character who's like based on a lawyer he hates or something like that. It's like bad. Wow. He does a lot of that. Like 
I was also, what was I hearing that Polly's brother in Goodfellas, Tootie, was Michael Jackson's manager. And so when Scorsese directed, he directed Bad. Bad, Michael Jackson put his manager in it. And that's how Scorsese found him and made him Tootie in Oh my Goodfellas. gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So if Joe Jackson had enforced his sons into entertainment, we wouldn't have that guy in Goodfellas. Yeah, that's right. Michael Jackson would have never met Martin Scorsese, would have never met that manager. That's right. That's how that's how life happens. <laughs> the butterfly the stupidest butterfly ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh well, first of all, before we even get into the movie, I want to talk yeah. about how much I love the poster of this movie. Ooh, yeah. With just David Naughton and Griffin Dunn kind of at a three quarter angle, both kind of looking back over their shoulders. Yeah. I just love the look of it. I prefer that poster to the this other one. The, the other ones that cool is like kind of like a white scrawled an American werewolf in London on a poster. And it's like, it looks like a drawing of like kind of a half panther wolf yeah. sort of thing. Um, but I love the the photograph one a mm-hmm. lot. Um, mainly because of those jackets, baby. Paul, I've got that in my fucking notes. Holy cow. <sighs> Wait, I now, read that. Uh huh. I think it's Griffin Dunn or was it David Nunn? I forget. One of them kept their jacket. Oh, I think it's Griffin Dunn. I think he kept his mangled up puffer jacket. Nice. Covered in blood and still has it. I would. Yeah. Talk about playing in Hollywood. That thing should be <sighs> hanging over every table. Every breakfast table <laughs> in America. Um, I, I don't, I tried to find out. I get tripped up on the um, John Landis's wife, Helen Nadulman. Nadulman? Nadulman? Um, she's, she's a, a costume designer. Costume designer. She designed old Indiana Jones. I know Raiders of the Lost Ark and Blues Brothers and Michael Jackson's Thriller jacket. She's got a lot of cool stuff. Oh, I didn't know she did the Thriller jacket. She just got jackets. She's just nailing jackets. Yeah, nailing jackets left and right. And then Spies Like Us, those funny Russian. Oh, I didn't know big, that. Big oh God, things. we've talked about how much we love that movie. Oh, big time, oh. big time, big time. So the the. Uh, Think of how different that movie would be if those jack like that is uh, a costume person like doing what a costume person does. It's like visual mm-hmm. and charactery, yeah, like very character based. Like those guys walking around, they look like dumb fucking American boys. Yeah. They're wearing these big red and shiny, green. and then David Naughton even has like red jacket, blue yeah. backpack. He looks like America, just like walking around. He really around. does, especially when they pull into the Slaughtered Lamb pub and everybody's in earth tone tweeds yes. and wool. Yeah. Those jackets to me are the best death jackets because in this movie and also in Red Dawn when Jennifer Grey's character of Tony <laughs> gets shot by like heavy machine gun fire from a hind helicopter, the squibs under those... There's barely any blood. It's all fluff and feathers that this guys are in. Then I'll add to that the yeah. Fargo, the the yes! dad when he gets shot by Steve Buscemi. The, it's the perfect. It's this oh. like puff of like feather coming out of a winter jacket. Yeah. I also love them when they get back. They cut to the bar and then they cut back to the guys and um, some like moisture has come along. So the jackets are kind of wet and shiny. Yeah. And it's good because visually it looks great. It, now the colors are shinier and brighter, but also. You're like, this sucks. They're out mm-hmm. and it's dark and now it's wet. Also, I think that scene works because of their jackets because 
it's all dark and misty and you see these like two pops of bright like uh colors just yeah. like walking through mist is also just really yeah. visually uh cool yeah I um mean, thumbs up 13 out of 13 for the jackets i wish i could have those jackets i bet we could we should get a red and a green puffer jacket <laughs> yes well it's funny cuz i hmm I mean, David Knott and Griffin Dunn don't look like two totally different guys. They look like they could be brothers almost. Yeah, it's interesting casting. Yeah, so I could, because I was going to say, what I guess I'd be the Dunn, but it's like, I'm probably fitting into Dunn and Naughton more than Gorley is. Like, in, in, how do you, how I, so? I'm saying like, who do we choose once we get the jackets? Who's the Dunn and who's the yeah. Naughton? I'd say you're the Naughton. Probably. Um, I don't exactly know why. But I'm but. saying I could probably equally cover both. At this point, I'm more the doctor. Yes! <laughs> You'd be a good doctor. Um, I think his last name was Hirsch. Yeah. Which I thought was funny, given that this was a year after um, Judd Hirsch played a doctor in Ordinary People. <laughs> so, like, I'd you like to imagine stole it? somebody came to the door and saw Dr. Hirsch and were like, Judd Hirsch is now a doctor <laughs> after his work at Ordinary People. That would be the normal. Like, eh. Oh, we gave him an honorary doctorate from his old school because that was an important film. But I think you're right. I think... I'll not and you're done. But that brings me to a question too about the casting in this film mm-hmm. and how it could easily have switched. And maybe I might even want to see Damn. more Griffin Dunn than not that I dislike David Naughton. I've never thought this Gorley, but this is a great thought experiment because Griffin Dunn's character Jack is more comic and yeah. I think Griffin Dunn is funnier, so it makes yeah. sense that he's Jack. But Griffin does maybe just an overall better actor. I think so. So that's yeah. why I'd want him as David because yeah. like scenes, which I already really, really love the scene where he calls home to his sibling. Yeah. He's like, tell mom and dad I love him. Yeah. Um, I love that scene, but I think it would be even better with Griffin Dunn. Yeah, I definitely see why they went the way they went because you really have to have something to pull off the beyond the dead sort of uh, casual like happiness that he's got. Yeah. It would be a little harder, I think, and you know. Yeah, if but, I had to choose who's going to be watched, it would be that. I still, so in my in my world where heaven is a screening room of alternate cuts, I would love to see the movie where these things are switched. Or it's just a dual role. Griffin Dunn gets to play both, and you just say that they're <laughs> brothers, so that makes sense on that way. And then you get to have <sighs> Griffin Dunn in both parts. You know how they did True West with who, switched John C. Riley yeah, and Philip Seymour Hoffman. They need to start doing movies that way where they shoot it at the same time. They just yes. and then you get like clue you can go see different versions <laughs> of it in the theater. Did you see the one as David as Jack and Griffin as David? It's nineteen eighty one, so I don't know. I don't know who these people are. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um also, yeah, David Naughton is just like it's like um the only other similar casting I think of we've had in our series of ten one offs is maybe the Craig Wasson and Body Double, which is Sort of this like... And the dad and the brood a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like the actors are a little bit of... Hey, and I'm a fellow actor. We're fellow actors here. I'd want to kill myself if I ever heard somebody describe my performance as a nothing. Yeah. So maybe it's more about the characters. But... My one issue with David Naughton in this movie is... Maybe it is the writing of the character. He's got to pull off being charming. And 
I don't know if the character or the actor thinks he's more charming than he actually is. That's just, it's the tough thing in this movie. There's yeah. sometimes where I'm like, <sighs> there's a tiny bit of smarminess to it, but I can't tell if that's entirely Naughton's performance. Also at the time, that kind of Bill Murray snark, Chevy Chase, Chevy yeah, Chase yeah, yeah. was in vogue and, and I think given more weight than it is today. So it's hard to say what's what, but I'm with you on that. Yeah. And I'll yeah. say they're dynamic. Like, that could be the thing that ages most poorly. They're kind of like rhythm as buddies and how they talk in that kind of comic attitude. But I think it ages pretty well. Yeah. And like I watch yeah. it and I'm not like cringy. No, I think it's great. And a there lot was of it, one I time where he was like, improvised. oh my God, and here I am a burnt meatloaf. Oh yeah. And I was like, mm, that's too. <laughs> that's that, the line. Yeah. That was a little too corny. But, but everything else is. Naughton's chemistry with Jenny Agater Really good. Really I mean, good. She's and awesome. I, I think that's her. And but yeah. it does feel like like maybe they did have a little bit of attraction to each other, a chemistry, because I had the biggest crush on her when I was a kid. From, from uh, this, American Werewolf. I think that's the only thing I knew her from yeah. prior to like where Eagles or or the Eagle has landed. Well, edify me. I don't even know what what she. I know she's a beloved. Uh, yeah, she actress. doesn't. I don't think you see her much in mainstream movies. I know her big debut was the film version of the play Equus, which was notorious because it had ding dongs. Uh, yeah, full ding dongs, both sides ding dongs. I didn't know she was an Equus. There's some combination here between Horses. American Werewolf and Equus. Naked boys running around thinking they're animals. Yeah, that's true. Boy, she's got a type of movie. <laughs> huh. I've told it. Have I told on this podcast the time I saw Equus in the theater? I Maybe, but tell, please. Well, I don't want to be that No, guy. no, no, because I don't, I can't recall it, so I want to hear it. I went to see Equus, and it's, the stage production, again, is famous for both the female lead and male lead. They're kind of like, usually teenagers, not teenagers, for Oh real, my God, that's so funny. I've seen Equus live. I don't remember any female nudity. Really? I walked Well, maybe they didn't do it. <laughs> that's true. But it's, okay. it is as written, the, the, I think they're supposed to be teenagers. Obviously, they're probably played by adults, but there's a, big scene where they both get nude in the stables and make love. Meet me at the waterfront after the social. <laughs> Meet me at the stables after the social. <laughs> they get naked and see uh, the horse's dick. <laughs> the horses are fully clothed. I thought it was a mare. <laughs> so I go in, I get early to the theater to see this and it's kind of like a small theater and there's the audience the stage and then they have a special section that's m meant to be because the whole play is a trial oh and so or a psychological uh -huh. trial but they make a section of the audience on the stage where you sit as jurors in a jury box Ugh. you don't have to speak you don't have to do anything but it's just like you're the jury and so the actors are delivering it to you in their recounting of it but there's only 12 of you in that box and the rest of the audience is on the other side. And so when the whole nude scene happens, the audience is all looking at the nude people and they're looking up at you watching the nude people. And it's so uncomfortable because I just remember looking at the nude people and watching the scene and then looking up and seeing a bunch of just people staring at me watching the naked people. Wow. <laughs> you know what this makes me... You've never told that, by the way. I but, haven't? No, that's Thank really God. good. And to think about the like double voyeurism that's going on people watching you watch yeah um it makes me think i do this all the time where and ever since i was in high school maybe it's some partly catholic repressed thing where i don't if i see um 
somebody out and about and they um it's a woman and she uh is somebody who would others would desire to look at. Yeah. I'll clock it, but my next move isn't to like keep clocking the object or the person uh-huh. it's to start clocking if other people are looking oh interesting that's more interesting to me so if i see like a girl like walking <laughs> by a crosswalk and i'm like huh i'll start looking at the guys around the corner and they're all looking at her butt or oh her my body God. and stuff you're the main audience at equus looking at me <laughs> i know that's what made me think of it i was like oh, i guess <laughs> i would be the guy looking at gorley rather than the people at the and that's not me trying to like be like <laughs> look at me Above the flesh. Yeah. <laughs> I am more interested in the mind. I just, it, I don't know. It's more interesting to see like other people like uh, <laughs> slobbering, I guess, than the actual thing. But. but the point is she's, I think she's the best actor in this film. She's so good. Mm-hmm. Like her performance at the end, she's just always believable. Yeah. And like you're saying about that thing about how it's it needs to be comedy when it's comedy, horror when it's horror. Yeah. She's playing it truthful and real in both fields where David Naughton, I think, sometimes is huh, he's yeah. just a little uh, presentational, where she's very representational yeah. at times. He, no, I I feel you, and that like that last yeah, what you just mentioned, the last scene where she's crying, it's like devastating, mm-hmm. and it really works as an ending. Um, the ending is probably outside of the first fifteen minutes. That ending is probably my favorite. The like cut to um, the doo-wop. Yeah. Like the shot of him, her crying, the shot of him on the ground, dead and bleeding, and then cutting to, I remember the first time I saw it, not to cut to the end here, but just it was, that blew me away. Yeah. I'd never seen like, it's closest to like Dr. Strangelove when the bombs start going off and we'll meet again goes mm-hmm. over, kind of like that weird irony of like a tragic ending and yeah. upbeat music. Uh, so I had seen something like that before, but maybe not with like pop music or doo-wop or something mm-hmm. and um i think it is the combination of how much she's crying next to that music like if she wasn't as devastated about his death i think that wouldn't impact me as much but i remember i watched it once and then i watched it again with my friend tim calpacus mm. and part of the fun of watching the ending again was watching his reaction to it the first time. Oh, he'd never seen it? Uh-uh. Uh, when it came on, he turned and was like, whoa! Uh, he was just like, so like, with that ending. Yeah. It's maybe the best, it's been a reoccurring thing in all of our movies we watched with, with the one-offs is the like abrupt ending. Yeah. But this is like the best abrupt ending. Yeah. I think. I think you're or right. It, it, it um embraces the abruptness. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't feel like an accident, like Terror Train kind of feels just right. happenstance. This The is point so... is the abruptness. Yeah. And I feel like it's a punctuation mark on what the movie's been. It's been like, the whole thing is, for me has been in addition to kind of being about loneliness and homesickness, is like the thing that makes me kind of most feel in this movie is like that yeah. stuff. But the... um. That the other thing that's amazing is just like when it goes from like Muppets on TV <laughs> to Nazi ghouls, mm-hmm. that like jerk of like, what am I feeling? Is like the that's the punctuation mark at the end of the movie is like she's crying and then doo wop comes on. It's so amazing. It's really incredible. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the other examples of that kind of thing because you mentioned Dr. Strangelove, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, its whole final resolution is really tragic. But 
La Mer, the French song, is playing that beautiful, just kind of wow. uplifting. I mean, it literally is a song that I think kind of has like ascending key changes, and it just kind of gets getting Whoa. brighter and brighter. It's it's. I mean, it has a melancholy to it, but there's something really romantic about it. Hmm. And the ending is tragic, just death wise, but also romantically too. And I just adore that that's awesome final moment is, is there so a good. romance that anybody in the a character in the movie could be feeling in that moment like it is romantic but they it is a trag it's a moment of tragedy for life and love oh yeah all wrapped into one nice yeah that's good yeah yeah the other kind of like those are more like emotional these are more like funny or weird but like the two that i think about are um Another Kubrick one is the in Clockwork Orange, him singing, singing in the rain mm, while yeah. he's beating somebody. Right. That kind of like weird irony of those two things together. And then the um, uh, Stuck in the Middle with You in Reservoir Oh, Dogs. yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I never really just thought about how the Singing in the Rain, Clockwork Orange, and Stuck in the Middle in Reservoir Dogs are pretty similar they they're are. like funny dark yeah somebody's singing this upbeat song while they're torturing somebody yeah yeah is there something to what a wonderful world like a fight or a massacre or something that i'm uh, thinking of uh yeah uh, well maybe you're not thinking of it but i'm thinking of in good morning vietnam robin williams does like a little like walk around at the the damage that's been wrong. yeah that's right and that's what, what I'm a wonderful of. world is. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking yeah. of. <laughs> All right. So the title is An American Werewolf in London. And I was trying to think, is that in any way a play on an American in Paris or Connecticut, Yankee and King Arthur's Court, which they actually mention in this movie? When did they mention King Arthur? I didn't catch that. No, no, I'm, I'm, that's not No, me. you may be right. It may be that I'm thinking, because I was reading the IMDb trivia on no, this. No, 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 no. That wasn't a... Um, but I think they a, do. I didn't... That's not true, Gourley. No. proof. It's like, uh, I just, I missed it. Don't they name check that book in this movie? I thought they do. When he's maybe at her apartment or something? Yes. Yes, they do. Yeah. Yep. Sorry, right. her flat. I'm sorry. I'm fucking sorry. I don't live in that country. I can't understand it. Well, it's okay. And then there's that scene where he uses the bathroom. Uh, water closet. Water doing? closet. What? Water closet. <laughs> <laughs> the privy. God, what do they call it? Oh my gosh. As if uh, Pavlovian. I, I said water closet and, and my pee filled with peas. So we have to take. Yeah, your question of is it a play on an American in Paris or um, a king in uh, uh, King Arthur's court? Uh, we're going. Was an American pea wolf in. Potty Town well, he, reference to an American Werewolf in London? Why wouldn't he have just made it an American Werewolf in Paris, which is a sequel, but also apparently he, uh, what was it? Someone threatened him with something on the production and he, Landis, threatened to say, I'm just going to set this in Paris and call it an American Werewolf in Paris and they relented on something. Oh, oh it was that, I think it was because of like union things in England or whatever, he was only allowed to have two American actors oh. and he had to fight. So you have Griffin Dunn, David Naughton. Isn't there another American in there? 
No. Uh, or he could only get so many visas. This is stupid. Oh, it was this. He could only get three, but he needed four. So it was John Landis, Griffin Dunn, David Naughton, and he wanted to bring Rick Baker over for oh. makeup. And they, I think, threatened to not give it to him. And he said he was going to go make it in Paris. And they relented. Ah, they should, yeah. What would it be? American PP break and bathroom. you just want to get back. You want to get to it so bad that he's gone. <laughs> he's running. <laughs> An American, um, uh, an American. Hmm. Um, um, an American. Uh, um, um, I have to be so bad now, too. And I can't. Uh, oh, it's there in the title. Can. America, American, you pee in a can. I have to pee. I'll be back. With Corley and Rust. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. With and We're back, and I, <laughs> I was probably out here for at least a minute or two still trying to think of a pun. Did you come up with it? No, one? all I could think of was like, the word can, you know, American. Ooh. Oh, like the can, using yeah. the can. Uh, I think that's the first time we've ever had to go bathroom break without figuring out the name before it because I was... You ran off like I'd never seen... If you rewind, you'll probably hear in the last like 30 seconds before I got up, just the chair, just like creaking <laughs> so much because I, I was like squirming. I was like, moment. <laughs> so American... Um, Where's the can? Where where the can? Oh, but where in American where the where of where's the can is good. So you know what oh, I'm saying? Oh yeah. So I'm a I mean a can. Where 
And Would it? <laughs> God. Where it can werewolf in London. Where it can werewolf. Where can a. Where can a werewolf. London. Where can a werewolf. Draining. <laughs> yes. This this is our best one yet. Best one yet. Yeah. As clever as the movie's title. Speaking of werewolf in London, it is crazy that the Warren Zevon song is not in there because these needle drops are so on the nose. Yes. Why not go all the way? And so much so that I think I was aware of this movie before I was aware of that song. When I heard it, I was like, is this written for the movie? What, what is, how are these things so closely related? And Zevon predates it, right? Yeah. And I, I adore Warren Zevon. And yeah. I, I love that song no matter how many times you hear it. Oh, I mean, no, just for great. the line that I saw a werewolf sitting in Trader Vic's and his hair was perfect. <laughs> it's so but His good. hair was perfect. perfect. But yeah. that, the music in this film, before we even get into that, just these needle drops and that Elmer Bernstein did the score. I couldn't even tell you any part of the score because I you just remember the song so yeah. much. There's not much score. There's not a lot of score. The one the parts of the score that I liked was the music that comes up when he's having those like dream visions where the oh, camera's yeah. moving through the like very yeah. verdant yeah. forest. That's true. that kind of like talk about uh, romanticism. That score felt very rom- like in wow. those moments it kind of has this like a uh, classic uh You're making me think of another Elmer Bernstein score, which is Meatballs. And there's a scene where Rudy to Abbott, Chris Makepeace, is, it's the big final race at the end. And the only way he can beat this Camp Mohawk super athlete, because he's a little guy in their, in their marathon race, is to cut through the, when they get to the woods, he's squirrely, he's Rudy to Rabbit. He can beat him because the guy's too big. But there's a point where they get in there and the music turns to this kind of like same kind of chasing romantic music oh. and it's it's really interesting i think mean, albert bernstein he's like amazing because uh i think he's had sort of three different careers with genres like he was a western guy yeah for a while right but the um and great escape too right or is he, that leonard bernstein how he's no i think it yeah you're right great yeah. escape but the um uh 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 john landis was the first person who brought him to comedy and uh uh is that right? Not to go. Uh, Is that meatballs? To to uh, crazy or uh, worshiping of John Landis, but he gets a lot, he should get a lot of credit with that Animal House score was the first time somebody had the idea of it'll be funnier if this comedy movie has a score that's serious, not mm. trying to add laughs by sounding so. I mean, Animal House. He really... should have worked on uh, Halloween Five. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, there's a little too many honks <laughs> and uh, uh, bicycle honking. Look, don't get me wrong. Ten honks in a horror movie, love it. But when you start to hit the double digits, it really is. <laughs> yeah, some guys like honkers in their <laughs> horror movies. I like honks on the score or vibra slaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um. You know, Animal House is pretty funny because you see these slobs and the music's like, but it's the same idea that's used in the meatballs yeah. and then uh, uh, Spies to great like effect in Police Academy. Uh, I don't think that's Elmer Bernstein, yeah. but the same sort of idea yes. of like, it's like funny that it's like so highfalutin. And I remember leaving those movies whistling the scores. Yes. Same with Meatballs. 
He did, didn't he do Spies Like Us too? Yeah. And it's got a real action adventure score. Yes. Well, it's, what's awesome about it is because he's the real deal, because he did do, yeah. Because he also does Three Amigos. So he's doing That's like right. a Western score because yeah. he did Magnificent Seven. Yeah. Which is the, one of the greatest scores of all time. Same with Great Escape. Yes. Bum, 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 ba, dum, bum. Oh, holy cow. And then, yeah, did, uh, I think, a bunch of, um, uh, uh, who's the director of Ghostbusters and Oh, Ivan Reitman. Ivan Reitman That's Meatballs. So Ivan Reitman then took. That wasn't Landis, yeah. Because Ivan Reitman and Harold Ramis all worked on Animal House, and then they all kind of went off and then became directors doing. Because did he do Ghostbusters too, Bernstein? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then, then I think he's yeah stuck with Ivan Reitman and uh, for that long time too. I love Bernstein. God damn it! I mean that last name. Yeah. Hey, if you want to get into feel the music, you got a last name. That's Bernstein. what confuses me about it. Same thing with um, um, uh, uh, Mankiewicz. Mankiewicz's and the Bernsteins. Both of those get confused because there's there's three Mankiewicz. And then at least. Randy Newman is um. Gary Newman? Uh, he is uh, the Alfred Newman of the 20th Century Fox. He's That's his uncle, I think. And but Thomas not, Newman. Not to be confused with Alfred E. Newman. Right. Oh, yeah. Thomas Newman is... Also related to Randy Newman and the <sighs> Alfred Newmans. But not the Alfred E. Newman. Okay. Who writes some of the f- best music <laughs> in the world. <laughs> Here's a humdinger from Alpha Centaurus. Give him a kick and he'll sing the next chorus. That was a Star Wars mad parody set to a few of my favorite oh. things. I don't know why I remember that. Um, maybe I've mentioned this. I'm sure I have on the pod. My favorite Mad Magazine spoof title. What? Uh, for Basic Instinct. Basically, it stinks. <laughs> The best thing about the potential of us repeating a lot of stories is neither of us remembers that we do. So we're at least enjoying this. Right, right. It's uh, two two men who are sundowning and keeping each other company. (laughs) All I can think about is that how much like someone in my family repeats stories and how I must have repeated so many stories to Amanda. But hey. If the stories are good, yeah, they it's like a Beatles repeating. song. I know. You could hear it a thousand times, but you're still happy to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> you heard my Equa story? It's a lot like Hey Jude. It's the across the universe of <laughs> theatrical experience my, stories. My Equa story is basically like the Piggies or Revolution Number 9 <laughs> of stories. Piggies is pretty bad. Martha, my dear, that bums me out. White Album's my favorite album. Yeah. Um... Uh, a song that I think sometimes gets like, treated as like one of the bad B-sides, but I love it so much, it <laughs> is um, uh, uh, Savoy Truffle. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. I crank Savoy Truffle when those big distorted horns come in. Because isn't that a Harrison song? Yeah. He's always been my favorite. He's awesome. And he's doing the thing that's awesome with anybody. It's like when you go see a track team, and the person who doesn't get the respect busts their ass and runs a little harder. Harrison yeah. is putting his tracks on those albums. Those are his tippy tops. Yeah. And certainly by the White Album, he's like smoking Lennon and McCartney. It's pretty cool. I agree. Isn't it crazy to think that by the time the Beatles rose and broke up, he was 25 and all of that had already happened. He Wait. was 25 when they broke up. What? That's how young he was compared to the rest of them. 
Because remember when he, when they first got big in Hamburg, he got deported because he was under 18. Oh my God. He was 20. Imagine all of that happening in your life and you're 25. I mean, I've heard him talk about like, that's amazing. I, I remember him saying something once about like, oh, he partly thinks he's a seeker because he got all of his needs and mm. desires and wants met that people spend yeah. their entire lifetimes never fulfilling. You could spend your entire life trying to amass the fortune and notoriety he got by the time he was 25. And so he was like, it made me go like, oh, there has to be something more than this. It's a little depressing because it makes you realize like, oh, nobody even... Some people don't even get the point where they get to ask, is there more than this? Yeah. You just keep going like, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. Yeah. yeah. But he 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 actually and Ringo do seem like the most well-adjusted of the two Yeah, to me. Well, I'm also close to Georgie because he's the Catholic on the group. And oh. he's got some real nasty, uh, like, lapsed Catholic in him that I really... How so? What do you mean? Like, nasty? Um, that song, uh, Waiting on You All... Um, yeah. on a, a, a All Things Must Pass. Uh-huh. It could have been a big, huge hit, but like the third verse is just like this snotty anti-Pope oh, line. Really? And I think Apple partly was just like, eh, we're not going to push this as much because it's got that weird, it's like, um, um, and the Pope and the stock exchange is the only thing he's qualified to quote us. Oh, wow. <laughs> and and the Vatican is owned 51% by General Motors, and the stock exchange is the only thing he's qualified to quote us. Motors and quote us gets rhymed. It's wow. so cool. I mean, yeah. that's almost as good as a, a where where's the can in London. <laughs> George Harrison wishes he yeah. could come up with where's the can in a... Uh, but you, you, your favorite is Georgie. What's your favorite Beatles song? It doesn't have to be a Georgie necessarily if he's your favorite, but that's I was just a, curious. That's a real tough one. Uh, well, I will say my favorite guitar solo, I think of all time, is the simple George Harrison guitar solo in Let It Be. And I think... Um, oh, yeah, that one is good. Or Octopus's Garden. Yes. And I, there's something about George Harrison where he doesn't go, like, he just plays these major scale solos that I gravitate to, toward and I love hearing. They just make perfect sense to me. He just seems like the guy who's the most creative without being having to always kind of go like, I'm going to push the envelope. Yeah. He just makes so much out of kind of... Um, the basic building blocks. Yes, like I was he, just going to say. He mines like, a lot out of what other people try to leave behind, and I think are too think they're too good for. Or something. Yeah, like got my mind set on you. That's such a just like simple anthem, but it's so good. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and and putting that out at that time and yeah, his career. Yeah, and also the um, if you're a movie fan, oh, he yeah. he's behind Hemdale, yeah. and if George Harrison had never had Hemdale, you wouldn't have your Monty Python, yeah. uh, Monty Python's Life of Brian. Or your Baron Munchausen's. <laughs> <laughs> or Terminator. Yeah. Wait, why? I didn't know that. Dale was the one who was like, Oof. we're going to make Terminator. We're going to put this money into this thing and make it happen. So That man's a saint. Yeah. What a cool dude. Yeah. I agree. 
George Harrison getting props on the American Werewolf in London. Yeah, it makes sense. The Beatles probably, uh, I bet we're in London once. <laughs> it's time for a recurring segment on this show called Logo Loco. Yay, let's kick it off. Well, okay. your universal one's pretty straightforward, but what do you think about that polygram? Ooh, very cool. It is, huh? Yeah, uh, and, and of its time. Yeah. I like that it hasn't been, as they say, um, was it wallpapered, where they put the new logos at the front? Oh, yeah. Um, is that what they're called? I don't uh, know. But, uh, uh, yeah, getting to see that old polygram one. I have some questions for you, because I don't think I'm that familiar with polygram as anything other than like a, a record label. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the other polygram. I know them, I think, mainly as like a late 90s early oddies they were making movies like polygram pictures they had a different logo by then that's probably why i'm not used to this it was probably like a flannel shirt (laughs) (laughs) some late 90s i'd have to imagine yeah uh yeah i love that universal logo i was also gonna i was wondering if in that universal logo do you think at that point the planet the moon next to it is in the phase of a full moon (sighs) yeah What do you think the moon's doing in that logo? What do you think the moon's doing? (laughs) What is the moon up to? Um, Also, just a little fun bit of history. At this point, uh, this year of 1981, Universal releases three other horror movies. They have four big horror movies. So American Werewolf in London. Yeah. And then um, 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 The Fun House, the Toby Hooper movie. I've never seen that. I saw it long, long ago. It's been a long time I saw it. Um, and then uh, this movie, uh, Ghost Story, which I've yeah, never seen. I haven't either, but that could be one of those contenders for another one-off because mm. that one always loomed large in cable TV. I remember it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember the poster and stuff like that. Yeah. And then uh, Halloween 2 wow. is the other Universal movie. Oh, wow. Um, and... Um, other little side note this movie references another universal movie he goes Lon Chaney Universal Pictures mm. The Wolfman so it's like oh universal movie where they're referencing universal that same year in the fun house Toby Hooper has a character put on a old universal monsters Frankenstein mask and on the commentary for the fun house he says he could do that because universal owned that oh. and so they own the images so I do kind of like this year, that year in Universal Horror, yeah. <laughs> maybe, which is like boomers are now, it's the first generation who's making movies who was raised on movies. The generation before was kind of feeling it out a little yeah. bit or maybe like were conscious when silent movies were becoming, ta- like they weren't fully just enmeshed in movies yeah and these boomers are pulling from their nostalgia yeah so now by the time they're making movies they're referencing the wolfman in it and they're referencing frankenstein's monster and i think that's really cool that is yeah it's one thing that boomers got right yeah yeah (laughs) uh what do you think of this logo when you see this universal logo does it pop anything in your mind no it just makes me feel good because i know we're in an era where i'm probably gonna yeah love the film even et the thing I love yeah. all of those. The ET logo uses this, but they put it in reverse. 
Why so it starts off because it, it's cool because it makes it look like the planet starts and then it goes rewinds and goes back out into space oh. and then it starts on the star field at the beginning of ET then so oh wow but I didn't really investigate in memory of Jim O'Rourke what the story there is I just did when <laughs> when I got back early for the bathroom break. <laughs> And I was waiting for you. I was like, oh, I'll find out what this Jim O'Rourke thing is. You didn't want to take that time to work on a better pee pun? <laughs> no, we had already come up with it. Okay. Yeah, we nailed it. Two peas and a pun. Uh, the uh, he um, And a little lady. He, he worked with John Landis in Kelly's Heroes, and I think he was the buddy oh. who he was um, traveling with that inspired this idea, uh, backpacking in Europe. And then I think he died right before American Werewolf started filming. So it was a way to honor the inspiration and the, somebody who had just passed away. Okay. But for mom, a doer level, uh, dedication, like, uh, with sleepaway camp. Yeah. Like when you, it's one thing to get a dedication, but to get it at the front of the movie and not the end. I know. And it's, so yeah, yeah, you, you have your three levels. Like there's the end of the movie, there's front of the movie, then there's front of the movie plus of a classification, like a doer. Yes. So you get a descriptor. Yeah, if it had been for Jim O'Rourke, uh, a wild man. <laughs> My little wolfie. You would have, yeah. The the apex that you can most hope for is for mama doer. Yeah, there's nothing bigger. And to have your own child do it. Yeah. It's so funny. Um, this, uh, I was just thinking, you know, I have a daughter. And I was a year or so ago, I was thinking like, Oh, what if she became a doctor or something? You know, and I thought, oh, the all the reasons it hit me. I was like, God, if she was a doctor, she'd be wealthy. It proved to people that she was smart, and it'd be a career based on helping people. I was like, oh, that's why everybody wants their kids uh, to be a, a I doctor. Just assumed it was a status thing, Edmund status. Yeah, but yeah. There's really so many reasons why you go like, hey, my kid's a doctor. <laughs> I just want my kid to be a doer. That's all yes. I care. I don't care what they do as long as they're doing it. I want the only thing I want my kid to do is to make a sleazy horror movie and dedicate it to me <laughs> at the beginning of the first frame. The sleaziest of yes, horror movies. Yes, please, please. Uh, please with the sleaze. Uh, sleazy, please. Sleazy, please. Now, um uh just as we're kicking off talking about the movie here, just werewolves in, in general. Um Werewolves in general. The werewolves in general. Uh uh, I think certainly growing up, werewolves were my favorite monster of the the classic mm-hmm. kind of thing. Not even a contest. Okay, what do I care about Frankenstein? What do I care about Dracula? Mm. The Wolfman is to this day is the coolest monster. I've never thought about it. I guess if in the day I think I'm a little more Dracula conscious, but the, <laughs> conscious. <laughs> But Dracula if, curious. I'm Dracula curious. If you're putting Jason Michael Freddy into Wolfman Frankenstein Dracula, <laughs> Dracula maybe is the Michael Myers. Yeah, and is Jason the um or is or is Dracula Freddy? Because the other two aren't talking much. Frankenstein's Jason. Freddy might right? be the Wolfman because the thing that I think most is although Dracula can transform. But the idea of transformation from human into the into the creature, into the monster. Yeah. And Freddy could maybe, you know, he can turn himself into a bus, I think. A car. 
<laughs> I forgot about that bullshit. Oh my god, with a body glove sticker. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so Freddy could be the wolf man. Jason's kind of a Frankenstein. And yeah, lumbering and has a good heart. Yeah. Deep down. Michael Myers, Dracula, George Harrison. They're all the dark horses. You know? <laughs> that I always like the dark horses. And then with the uh, um, other kind of part of the universal monsters, like the creature from the Black Lagoon, I guess it's like the xenomorph. Yeah, I guess so. And then Bride of Frankenstein is... Um, Angela. Tiffany Trump. Tiffany Trump. <laughs> oh, that's from the mailbag episode. That's not on this one. Well, you're going to have to subscribe hey, you to subscribe. Patreon. <laughs> A little teaser. That was on purpose. <laughs> we'll get you yet. Um, like and throw pictures. Oh, that is a, um, that's what you call, a, that's a fancy name for a werewolf. Yeah. And do you think they made any other movies? They made like a Care Bears movie, but still use like and throw pictures to. <laughs> Wolf. Um, Oh, oh, uh, but I was going to say the thing I really liked about werewolves when I was a kid was, this is funny, I think my first taste was Teen Wolf for like werewolf movies yeah, that maybe, like captured my imagination. Oh, this one is for me. but then, It was for you. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Your first werewolf movie was this <laughs> yep. movie. Um, but I like would tell people I was a werewolf and then I would, this girl Tessa I knew, I made her wait outside a window in, at a house I was in at my um, at a friend's I was like Tessa I'm a werewolf and then I was like wait there and then I went under the window and I had brown scot- I had put crayon on scotch tape and I put the tape on my face and then I came back up the window and I was like see and she was like that's just tape <laughs> wait wait a minute hold everything sorry you took clear scotch tape and uh-huh. then you took like a brown crayon and, yep. and drew on that and, and filled it out Filled all the tape up with brown because you like couldn't find a marker to just go straight on your flesh. How also long did probably this take? a good boy who's worried about like I'll get in trouble <laughs> if I put marker on my face. So this is a way to get around it. How long and how much tape did you put on your face? <laughs> it was a process. It probably took like a half hour of. Well, you made the... her wait outside your window for a half hour. Oh no no no! I pre. Oh, the this tape. is premeditated. I was a real Rick Baker about this. I had planned it all for maximum impact. Wow. And then Tessa's waiting outside, and then I can lower below the windowsill inside the house, put it on, and then come up over the... So the, oh Tessa was probably waiting maybe 30, 45 seconds. Didn't horrify her like I thought. She she thought through it. Um, but I think, like, the almost kind of, like, dark superpower idea of it, yeah. like, Clark Kent can become a wolfman, mm. I think captured my imagination a lot. Yeah. But even just now with a daughter, I see as a kid, like the idea to change from one thing into another is, a, I think a big kid like, imagination. Like you, yeah. that idea is very comforting or something or intoxicating. And then the last thing I'll say about it as a grown up, when I think about Wolfman werewolves, I just think it's, I'm reading this Mike uh, Nichols book. Um, that Mark Harris wrote. Yeah. It's amazing. It's so good. There's a section on Wolf, the Jack Nicholson movie that uh-huh. Mike Nichols made. And he's like, the problem with werewolf movies is that they're not a metaphor for anything that actually happens in life. And Mike Nichols, I think, is a smart guy. He is so wrong. Yeah. What's awesome about werewolf stories are my favorite thing about them. I think there's such a great metaphor for 
Gourley, the human condition. This idea that like at night or at any time in your life, you can kind of become something else. That's funny because I went straight to puberty. I, no, literally. I think it is also puberty. Yeah. yeah. But then... Why is only part of me turning into a wolf man? And also, but like, I can't con- then tr- control the impulses I feel yeah. when I become, uh-huh. when I feel puberty. Yeah. Um, now as an adult, like when I watch Wolf, I think it could be um, a drug habit. It could be cocaine. It could be anything. Yeah. 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 I, everybody has like a dark person that they become and then later have to apologize for. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I, but uh, so that's why that's why I love werewolf <sighs> movies. I think they're really I like them more than vampire movies, and they just don't make a lot about them. They don't, and they're usually bad. Is Wolf bad? I've never Wolf seen is it. bad. Now, I watch it all the, the time. What about the Wolf Man with Benicio del Toro? I never even watched okay, it. Okay, here's an interesting thing about that movie. Because I heard it was so bad. I'm sure it is, but I know that I will be watching that soon because uh, Amanda and I met at the orientation for a job that we were both working for Universal Studios, which was an improv job. And so I, I had... Oh my gosh. I, it was, long story short, I, it was a summer That's where like, I had come out of a semi-long relationship and I was like, I gotta be social again. I gotta hang out with my friends. And my friends were all doing this improv job at Universal Studios. This was 10 years ago. And I went, I'm just gonna go do this for a summer, blah, 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 That's just to be awesome social. Job. Yeah. And the first day of orientation is where Amanda and I met. And we, we really were one of those kind of like just sort of love at first sight. Mm. I'm not trying to make it like storybook. We just both fell for each other like that. And, uh, we were finished that day of orientation. We were riding the escalator to the parking garage at city walk at universal. (laughs) And (laughs) there was a middle-aged couple wearing matching bowling shirts that were full wraparound prints of the Benicio Del Toro Wolfman movie. What? And Amanda goes, now n- neither Amanda and I had let on that we liked each other. This is the first day we've met. And she goes, that's going to be us in 20 years. Or 10 I'm years, sighing. I forget. My heart just like warmed for real hearing that. And that's I so like, I was cool. on cloud nine when I heard that. And from then on, it was full steam ahead. But Oh, it's all you want to hear I when you have a the, crush on somebody yes, is like I know. making it a joke like, like that is the it best thing in the world. It was heaven and it fills me with chills to this day. <sighs> but I think on our 10th anniversary, which is coming up July 3rd, our 10th anniversary from being together, we'll probably watch that movie. Because when did that movie come out? It was 2010? <laughs> it must have been around that time because I feel like that couple probably bought those shirts at CityWalk that day. I don't know. Yeah, what's the story of that couple? Are they like know. Del Toro what? heads? <laughs> I know that's exactly because Amanda and I were both remarking on like how what a shirt to go to ride or die for. What a movie to ride or die for. Because also what was happening at this point was City Walk was, you know, like there were street performers, but they were kind of like sanctioned and permitted to be there. So <laughs> there was a one guy band doing Phil Collins in the air tonight where he had like a full but the rest of the song played and he was just on Wait, drums. were you hearing that in the background when yes. Amanda made that comment? Yes. Oh my gosh. And there was like a gong, like he had the full it like- written in the stars. It was also, incredible. This, every detail of this could have been wrong, but just the detail that you guys were falling for each other at City Walk is just <laughs> the best thing. It's what every person, would, any movie lover would love. Any theme park lover would love, any movie lover would love. Yeah. And then we, on this orientation tour, I think they were just trying to kill time. So they took us through the park and there was a moment where we all just sat and watched the like 15 foot 
tall animatronic Megatron come and do like bits for the audience. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, but well, anyway, so I got to see that movie. I, I'm looking now you forward get to, to it. So you'll yeah. let me know if, yeah. uh, um, God, that's so good. Um, uh, it was, um, love at first sight for me too. That's, that's when nice. I saw you and man, <laughs> <laughs> you were there. Were you wearing a wolf, yeah, I was, I was in the, shirt? I was wearing a Wolfman shirt. I was with you? my wife at the time. <laughs> uh, that would be amazing that the the story comes full circle and we find out that was you and Leslie. Doing a, a Jamie Kennedy experiment kind of prank where we were dressed up as an older couple. Uh, no, but I was at a birthday party of a mutual friend of Leslie and I's and she walked into the kitchen and I saw her and my first thought was, she looks like the girl ever since I was a teenager, like I've wanted to meet. Oh, wow. Which sounds shallow and superficial because no. it's all about her looks and how I was attracted to well, her you and hadn't stuff. spoken to her yet. Yeah. You know, like that's you, that is your first impression of someone. Yeah. I can't control that unless you fall in love via podcasting. That's true. Or if, yeah, if I had been in another room and I heard Leslie yeah. telling a joke or make a remark in the other room, like, who is this? Yeah. I am in love with this brain. And then you meet the person you're like, Oh, and she's beautiful too. Uh, but, uh, gosh, um, uh, with the Wolfman, the with the bit Nietzsche del Toro thing, I was just thinking. Um, the other thing, in addition to Wolfman movies being bad, that keeps me from fully like getting excited is, I and why I think maybe more people like vampires more and stuff is. Um, I think the rules are really not consistent movie, to me. and that's they no fault change, of any yeah. movie. Yeah, it's just across all Wolfman movies, I just feel like. Yeah, because also Frankenstein and Dracula come from literature. The Wolfman doesn't, right? Where does oh, the Wolfman? It seems it's like, like folklore. Co- or something. Yeah, I think it is, and that's why you're getting silver bullets and you're right moon stuff, and not that you couldn't get those from literature. No, but yeah, it's it's a lit- a, a book isn't like making the rules concrete as much. And it's also weird. I I don't know if it's in the Bram Stoker novel, but in the Coppola movie, he's kind of a wolf man too he oh he's like in, a shapeshift yeah he turns into a wolf at right. one point do not see me perhaps you should grow a beard <laughs> <laughs> I saw um, like a 30 second clip it popped up on YouTube of like Gary Oldman being annoyed by Coppola, the I, son of Dracula. That just came up on my YouTube, too. <laughs> we must have the same. There's the Paul and Matt algorithm. <laughs> it's going around. It's a bunch of new wave stuff. And I've been watching tons of just like current day producers breaking down Blondie songs and separating tracks and things oh, like right that. Oh, right on. That yeah. sounds awesome. Yeah. Uh, kind of like what they did with those classic albums, VH, yes. VH1 things where they like, and yeah. actually we brought in this person to do this track. My, I love my that. My first question with these YouTube guys is like, how are you getting these isolated tracks? Maybe they're just out there in the ether or what, but. Yeah. Some black market uh, track yeah. downloads. Yeah. Anyway, what were you going to say? Oh, no, that was uh, just, I, was talk- I think that was my final thoughts on the werewolf movie. I do, but I saw that clip with oh yes yeah it was just yeah it was funny it was seeing gary oldman kind of like walk away from francis ford coppola yeah which i don't know it was just like somebody not gary oldman giving no fucks or just not having the reverence for film history of being like 
I'm working with Francis Ford Coppola, the I'm greatest sure. living director right now. I'm pretty sure Gary Oldman was one of those younger men you wouldn't want to be around. I really like him now yeah. as an actor, but he was so revered in the beginning, but he was so chewing the scenery. And it seems like once he hit Commissioner Gordon, like he really mellowed out. Or maybe that was the case of having a director who would kind of put him where he needs to be. Yeah. Like Fifth Element or... The professional, I always make this joke that when he takes the drugs in the professional that he's taking his acting pills because he takes the pills <laughs> and just starts overacting like as the drugs are hitting him. They're incredible. But Tinker Taylor and the Batman films, he's so good in those. Ooh, I, I do like the quiet yeah. Oldman. Me too. Yeah. yeah. Um, the his character in uh, <laughs> The Quiet Old Man. Not the grumpy old man. That's for Matthew and Lemon. <laughs> uh, I do like his... Um, it's not Dexter. What's the character? Drexel in um 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 True Romance. The oh oh yeah. yeah yeah. When he goes deep into a character yeah. like that, yeah, and that's kind of a combination of big histrionic, but like quiet, yeah, um, internalized more. Yeah, um, yeah. The uh, uh, um. Gary Oldman and Anthony Hopkins also like Anthony Hopkins when he met Gary Oldman on the set of Dracula he was like he's me he's exactly like me he's like a young uh, punk who's very talented and is has uh, a drinking problem that he needs to like figure really? out yeah and then I think you come back around now and Gary Oldman is now entering the Anthony Hopkins at Dracula Silence of the Lambs era where yeah. he's like cooled off yeah and they're both like master mimics yeah that's what they are yeah anthony hopkins and gary oldman both have can like are really good mimics have you ever seen them do impressions it's like awesome i've i haven't seen uh hopkins do impressions yeah uh he's really good at them. really yeah yeah oh wow i love anthony hopkins too by the way i do too and he has such a non pretentious relationship to acting just yeah. that it's like Whatever. He's not precious about it. Yeah, I I've really been getting into stuff when he's younger, which because he he mm -hmm. I think most people came on their radar with Silence of the Lambs, right. but I think because he wasn't like a huge star in America prior to that. But there are all these movies that he's in, like Bridge Too Far and mm. Lion in Winter, where yeah. he is kind of like a little more under the radar, and especially in Bridge Too Far, where there's so many names in that movie, and he's just right. kind of doing his thing, yeah, just going to work, you know. God, yeah. Whoever's in a movie like The Thin Red Line or something, and when they it's their opportunity to act in a scene, it's just like I'm gonna keep oh, yeah. cool here. I know yeah. I'm in a movie with a bunch of other people, but that that's real professional restraint. Yeah, I feel that way about Ted Danson and Saving Private Ryan. Oh my god, I totally forgot exactly. about exactly yes, yeah. exactly because yeah. you kind of got like a lot of up and comers who are really jockeying for attention. Yes, and then just Dennis Farina and Ted Danson playing these bit parts and just just <laughs> fully fully doing their job. You That's know? awesome. Um, well, this kind of uh, sort of dovetails a little bit to something I was going to share about uh, American Werewolf in London uh, with... Um, we haven't even gotten... <laughs> to the first words of But we film. are talking about Ted Danson and Saving Private Ryan. I'm saying that's I'm what's important. fully behind you. This <laughs> podcast is, we should just call this Dovetail. <laughs> well, uh, so you notice the See You Next Wednesday uh, poster yeah. in the, the subway and then it shows up later at the, that's the movie that's at the porno theater. Right. And then 
um, as I'm sure you know, that's a that's a meme. Yeah, <laughs> in all of John Landis's movies, most of them has a a movie poster for a fake movie called See You Next Wednesday, uh-huh. and it's maybe people think it's based on in 2001. Yeah. He says, see you next Wednesday to his daughter. Right. That Um, would make sense. Yeah. Um, But yeah, they're all over in his movies, but the, um, uh, and uh, pardon any name dropping, but I do tell this because I think it's interesting and it's maybe something could only hear from here is this going to be an abraham lincoln story (laughs) (laughs) why just because that's the biggest celebrity i could think of Uh, well uh it is a little bit like my version of the lincoln letter from hateful eight i'm i'm ready but it's true okay so when i was shooting in glorious bastards and i was in berlin i brought with me this big coffee table book that the John Landis book and it's a collection of interviews with him and essays and uh, you brought like a coffee table sized book with you yeah and I remember wow. I had to go through Canada to go to this Canadian comedy festival and I went from there to Berlin so I had to pack what an amazing like oh, just so period fun. of your life that's yes. incredible yeah, yeah. Um, um, and it's so funny because at that comedy festival I remember meeting Tim and Eric and I was more nervous about meeting Tim and Eric than I was Brad Pitt. Like I met wow. Brad Pitt a week later. I was like, I was more nervous about meeting Tim and Eric. Those guys are way more intimidating. Uh, but uh, 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 so I was carrying around this John Landis book with me into Canada and Berlin. And I was watching a lot of John Landis movies while I was traveling too, because they're very comforting to me. So I remember when I landed in Berlin, I used iTunes to download, I think for the first time a movie and I downloaded spies like us. Cause I was oh. like, I want to watch spies like us. It's going to make me feel good. And, but what's kind of rattling in my brain this whole time is I love John Landis movies. I'm obsessed with them. I watch them all the time. But are they my favorite? Do I really? When I think about my favorite movies, I don't, or favorite filmmakers, I don't put him in, on my list. And that was just kind of bopping around in my brain while I was reading this book and in Berlin. And we go, we have a rehearsal. It's so cool. Quentin wants to show us, Quentin Tarantino wants to show us some movies that he thinks would be inspirational for us. So we go to his office and I think I'm maybe the first one there. And talk about cool. He's like showing posters for the fake movies he's come oh up with that God. are going to be in Inglorious Bastards. He's like, this is kind of based on this thing. And, and, and I'm showing, he's, I'm getting a look at the artwork and I go, oh, this is like your See You Next Wednesdays posters. Uh, this is like, you get to, and he's like, yeah, but it's a little different because it's Wait, not, he didn't even do a like, hey, nice, nice pull. He just, you know, it's, that's such common parlance for <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, we're drinking water here. Of yeah, course okay, we know yeah. the See You Next Wednesday Like, poster. if you didn't say that, I'd be worried. <laughs> right. Now, right, you, right, now right. you're just baseline. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so he uh, goes, yeah, the, um, he's like, oh, it's a little different though because these are, um, I forget how we put it, but it was like, these are a different kind of fictional universe that these exist in or something like that. And I'm like, he's a movie. uh, or I'm going to talk to him about this thing. I've been thinking about John Landis where I go, man, I've been thinking about it. I love his movies. I watch his movies all the time. But when somebody asks me my favorite movies, I never think of John Landis. But what, why do I watch all of his movies? Why do I love him so much? And he, Quentin Tarantino went, it's easy. 
he's a movie lover. Mm. He's like you. He's like me. He loves movies. And when you're watching his movies, you go, this guy loves movies. He yeah. loves movies like me. And that's why I love watching them. I, I think about that all the time. I think it's a very sweet way to think about John Landis's work. It's like, he's a movie lover. And that's why I love his movies. That's fantastic. Yeah. That is probably one of my favorite little moments of you telling a story. Aww. Just that whole thing was, I don't know. I just, I think of you going from a comedy festival into shooting my favorite Tarantino movie by a long shot. And just that experience, I don't even like try to live it vicariously because I know that just wouldn't be a path my life would go on. But, I disagree. Well, I, I don't know. I, I just think of you, you on that. You bender of that. Oh, God. You're, 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 a little handsome. you're too kind and it's <laughs> illegal and that you've gone too far. <laughs> I just think of you on that journey and I am so happy for you because that it just feels like you in both right places. Oh, you know? like, yeah. Well, it's know. just such a... I mean, we talked about it. We'll give a plug to your, I was there too. We talked about Inglorious Bastards there, but I was just, it was, uh, I was 27 and getting to visit Europe for the first, I was, it was just the most, such an exciting time. But just like, like John Landis is a movie lover. We are obviously movie lovers and. Oh, but I didn't even think about it. Oh, John yeah. Landis is going to Europe for the first time to do Kelly's Heroes as a 17, 18 year old boy and getting to experience the world for the first time. And it inspires American Werewolf. I was going backpacking through Europe because of Inglorious Bastards. I went to Paris for the first time by myself. <laughs> so I was getting that experience again. It's so weird. Yeah. Um, and kind of like the parallels between Inglorious Bastards and Kelly's Heroes, too. I know that's more of a heist movie, but there is a, a different. Oh, with, yeah. that's what made me think of it was just thinking of the men on the mission yeah. of it all. Um, the other thing that's kind of like a funny sequel to this story, I'll make it real quick, no, is a. Is, uh, uh, Tarantino will give a plug to this amazing podcast called the uh, Pure Cinema uh, 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 podcast that's uh, um, um, associated with the New Beverly Theater. Mm -hmm. It's a really great movie podcast. If you like two sweetie fellas talking about movies, I highly recommend it. Um, but the um, Tarantino does appearances on it because it's associated with the yeah. New Beverly. And he came on and just last week did an episode about top five final movies by directors. Oh. Um, and I, I'm going to spoil his number one movie here with the story, but I was, I was told Leslie this. One of the things that kind of haunts me was when I was in Berlin, me and Quentin were just talking once, and 8 Million Ways to Die got brought up. This like Hal Ashby movie yeah. with Jeff Bridges and uh, Andy Garcia and um, Roseanne Arquette. I had just seen it. I'm a huge Hal Ashby fan. And I just didn't feel like it was up there with the other Hal Ashby movies. And there's all this story behind it that like producers took the movie away from and re-edited it. So I'm confident in the idea that this is not a good Hal Ashby movie. A million ways did I get brought up and I go, oh, that movie. And Quentin goes, oh, I love that movie. And it's haunted me ever since. So I was like, why did you have to trash 8 million ways to die, Paul? Who cares? Uh, he loved it. And you trashed it. Why'd you, you didn't even hate it that much. You were just trying to be cool and pretending that you didn't like it as much as you. Just to get a conversation going, you fool. <laughs> I'm listening to the commentary. He gets to his number one favorite last movie. Uh, it's 8 million ways to die. But you can't be blamed. He, his trying to figure out why he does or which movies he will and will not yeah. like because he really is so left field on certain things 
oh, why can't I remember? And that there's... happens with the hosts on that podcast. They'll go, I was going to yeah. say this, but I didn't know if you'd hate this movie or not. Yeah, so maybe. There's a movie he loves that I absolutely loathe, and I can't remember what it is. Ooh. Oh, I can't remember. And it Anything is... else? No. I know he's a big fan of that Woody Allen movie, and I. Uh... No. Um, oh, man, I wish I could remember. Prometheus? No. I don't think he's. A big... I actually, I saw an interview once where he was trashing Prometheus. Pretty funny. That's fair. What What were the other four? Do you remember of that top five of his? Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, check out the pod. But it is um, the the number five was uh Tony Scott, Unstoppable. I know he adores that movie. Yeah, yeah, because that rewatchables on yeah. it is really good. And then, damn. I'm blanking on 432. I mean, only because... Was Eyes Wide Shut in there? No, nobody yeah. brought it, that yeah. up. I really liked at the very, very end as a um, kind of honorable mention, he does George Roy Hill's Funny Farm. Oh. and gives a really great huh. um, look at George Roy Hill's... Uh, Interesting. The thing is, like, man, I mean, this is supposed to be a very American werewolf in London and John Landis, but just like... Uh, um, I found myself getting emotional a couple of days ago just thinking about how much I love Quentin Tarantino and his movies Aww. and thinking, like, <laughs> it's, God damn it's because he cares. He cares. Nobody cares anymore. He actually cares. He wants to, he cares about us <laughs> being, making sure we're entertained. It was, like, so moving to me. But anyway, I'm a tremendous fan. Yeah. Um. But, uh, uh what, 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 I was going to ask you, would you have any top of mind, like, do you know somebody's last movie that you like or or a movie that's like somebody, maybe it's not even at their, an actor or somebody who's like a little chewed up and at the end, but they managed to do something amazing? Oh, boy. I, I don't know if it's his last film, and I brought this up recently, but Victory, which is directed by John Huston, um, is definitely a late stage John Huston. And, you know, I think he... Houston's even on record saying it may be his least favorite film of his own. <laughs> Not a victory for yeah. him. Or like View to a Kill is Roger Moore's last, and I think it's his least favorite, but it's probably one of my favorite Bond films. Oh, that's a perfect one is yeah. the the end of the Roger Moore era being yeah. a, a favorite. Yeah. But he doesn't like it, right? It's too violent and stuff. I I don't know. He he doesn't like it, I think, because it I think he thought he was probably too old and it's mm. just kind of wacky. The same reason. A lot of people don't like it, although I think that's actually starting to turn the corner. I think a lot of people are appreciating that movie now. Gorley, I'll, you know, you might think this is blowing smoke up, but I think um, the James Bonding podcast that you and Matt Myra did, like, I think it's injected ideas in the world that have been accepted into the James Bond community and have been churning and, and oh, developing new ideas. I think it's probably a zeitgeist thing. Like things seem to happen at the same time, you mm -hmm. know, so probably there were parallel thinking with view to a kill and giving quantum of solace and ever look another look that must've been happening elsewhere. No, too. No, I, know. I think it's all part of one, one great quilt. Yeah. Uh. Well, if you're just joining us, we're about to start talking about today's film. <laughs> what are we at? <laughs> American an hour and a half in. Uh, I don't know, because it isn't until I have like eight or nine notes that aren't even about something that's happened in the movie. They're just kind of like things we've already discussed. Yes. And then my first note about the movie when it actually starts 
is one we've already covered, which is love those jackets. <laughs> and then my next note is cozy with 12 O's. Cozy. This movie, to me, at least starts so cozily because you've yeah. got those jackets. It's cold out on the moors. Yes. And they go into oh. an English pub. To drink tea and like hot toddies. Oh. Oh yeah. man, it's so cozy. It is very cozy. You're right, and like I, I think I said previously, the first 15 minutes of this movie I think are my first, are my favorite yeah, of the movie. Yeah, me, me too. And um, it is such a great opening. You know, it reminds me a lot of um, um, it is so cozy, man. To be able to walk into a warm, uh, warmly lit bar. Yeah. Uh, after walking in the cold is when the sun's going down. This um, is going to be tough to beat when we do our cozy tournament. Ooh. Which, if you're not a Patreon subscriber, this will probably happen in the in the little small break between that's the seasons. That's right. The, the cozy, uh, uh, um, what were we calling it? The or, Tournament bracket? Yeah. And yeah. we, you know, we throw special episodes and stuff like there. I won't say what, you That's know, right. just occasionally from time to time. So there's more happening than just the regular mailbag and under uh, the hood commentaries. There's a yeah. lot going on under the hood. <laughs> uh, and it also gets cozy at the end. Like when you're with your English girlfriend in her house wearing sweaters and then you go out after you made out, after making out, you go out into the rain for a bit and come back. That's cozy. I know before things before he turns into a werewolf, that yeah. time when he's out of the hospital and living at her house, I want to go on forever for both of their sakes. You know, I want a lazy afternoon hanging out at my British nurse girlfriend's flat. Especially when, yeah, when she has to go to work. Yeah, and he's watching and he's TV just, and like, stuff. All he can do is wait for her to get home, which he's looking forward to. But in the meantime, all he can do is just hang out. That's heaven. Yeah, and Credence is playing. Yeah. Then, then it's ultimately heaven. Like, yeah. you hang out in a British girl pretty British girl's house listening to Credence? Yeah, until the moment where in a second he just goes, oh God! <laughs> Starts grabbing his brain. I've forgotten how there's no lead up to that, that it just happens in a split second. I've forgotten about that too, because it's probably been about seven or eight years since I've seen this. And uh, yeah, it was so funny how it's painful. It's yeah. funny that it's like really painful. Yeah. Uh, um, the Credence music, the, the thing I was going to say at the beginning when we were talking about the beginning of this movie being really good and cozy. It is similar to, I don't know the last time you watched uh, the opening prologue of the Twilight Zone, the movie with Dan Aykroyd and Albert Brooks. I always forget about that. Um, that's also made by John Landis a year after American Werewolf. Um, and it's the exact same opening. It's like dissolving shots of mm. um, dusk but it's the Malibu Hills and you see a car driving through it. And then it's, I prefer it actually to the American werewolf in London opening, which I love. So I really love the twilights on the movie opening, but it's cause it's just like, um, six, seven minutes at first of them bullshitting. They're like talking about their old favorite TV shows and seeing the theme songs for each other. And then your defenses get dropped cause it's funny and, two charming funny guys and then it ends in a scary way but also credence is playing the um uh midnight special oh that's right yeah, yeah. um but uh, uh um the uh um that like might be my favorite way for a horror movie to open is just like 
two people being cash and then it getting scary is like really awesome. Are there other examples you can think of? Well, in general, you know, I think we've talked before about like, you know, in the same way that they like, can't they make uh, the whole plane out of what they make the black box? There's sometimes when I watch a horror movie, I'm like, can't the whole horror movie be the first 10 minutes when everybody's just like moving into the house and yeah. it's nice. Yeah. So yeah. what's my favorite kind of like cash opening to a horror movie it might be, Oh, Jedi <laughs> return of the Jedi. But- <laughs> The kind of casual opening before before it gets scary. <laughs> well, before we're about to dive in beat by beat for yes. this film, I need to go where where I can get a werewolf where where in the can werewolf in London. Yes. If that doesn't translate I even to too. you, I need a pee break. Because yes. the, the pun is so ham handed, it has to be explained. We'll be right back. With and With and rest. Well, we're back, and some power tools seem to have joined us from the house next door. It wouldn't be a cozy cast without a little. You got to have a little bit of uncoziness to appreciate the coziness, you know. Well, I'm wondering, are you? Because we're hearing power tools on the other side. Are you the neighbor in home improvement? Is Tim Allen next door wanting more power? <laughs> what did I just learn? The guy who played oh, we talked to Wilson Wilson. Yeah, what? Uh, a couple episodes. Yes, he was uh, in something. Mo, he's he's Bruce in Motel Hell. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was a week ago, and both of us are going like that rings a bell. I know there's something there. <laughs> Holy shit! I'm worried about me. I'm worried about me. <sighs> um. So the um. The, the, yeah, similarly, like you said, I just had a couple things before the movie started that I had written down. Um, uh, one, this came out the same year as The Howling. So two werewolf movies that are... And that's the one that Rick Baker was going to work on because he's... Yeah. Apparently he and John Landis had had this idea brewing for a long time, but it took so long that he finally went to just do The Howling and then Landis... If, you know, yeah. IMDb is to be believed, was kind of upset. And so Baker said, all right, I'll hand it off to my protege, the Howling, and I'll go do uh, American Werewolf in London. But that was kind of like, the, and they had to differentiate the werewolf looks. So he had to kind of do more. And that's when I think he said, let's put the werewolf on four legs, which was not really usually done for werewolves. Oh. They were more humanoid. And that... That was the way to different... Yeah, yeah. because then his... Um, protege Rob Bottin mm-hmm. did the effects in The Howling and then Rob Bottin did the effects in The Thing and stuff so he's a uh, uh, talented like Rick yeah. Baker like yeah. two guys working uh, but yeah I love the um, werewolf effects of like those little bladders those air bladders oh, yeah. and stuff Yeah, uh, I didn't know that though about the um, going down to all fours because I like that I like that in a me werewolf. too I, know. I like when they become animal I think it's way more effective You're, it's way scarier than a guy just walking around yeah because also it makes it super fast it, like the subway scene is the the um, tunnel the big scene. Fortuna yeah the big the, Fortuna the big, scene. big Fortuna scene <laughs> yeah we'll get to that uh, is really scary because it's fast and yet yeah. you're thinking uh, could I outrun a wolf yeah no, if anything if you outran like kind of like a Guy on it's just twos a, a, just a man like a for man. Yeah. yeah, you can't outrun a wolf. You'd be you slowed down. Theoretically, outrun a man. Uh, the other thing was uh, um, 
oh no that was it that was the uh uh the final thing oh 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 this also came out the same year as uh the Incredible Shrinking Woman. I love that movie. I love it so much. And John Landis was supposed to direct that. Really? And then left it to make this passion project. Wow. But I um, I flipped, when I was a kid, I flipped out for The Incredible Shrinking Woman. And I wish John Landis had made it because I think it'd probably be... It almost does feel like he did in a way. Like there's something about it. Well, and there's a big ape in it. Yeah. And there's apes all over in his movie. So it's like, did he pitch the ape to be in oh, The Incredible Shrinking Woman or like then left? Because oh. Rick Baker's a big ape guy too. <laughs> Galaxy glue. Galaxy, Galaxy glue. glue. What would you do without Galaxy glue? The joke Galaxy. I must remember for that movie is like Lily Tomlin is like giving a speech to the family about what she wants and deserves. And Charles Grodin, R.I.P., her oh, husband goes, the best. He goes, uh, uh, um, okay, honey, get off your soapbox. And she's standing on an <laughs> yeah, actual soapbox. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that movie has so many phases to it because it's like, just by the end, it does become this ape chase with a, a character that I love that guy but he's just not in the rest of the movie right and he just seems like someone that would be in meatballs or something like he's just a <laughs> 70s kind of slacker guy working at a, a lab and then you've got that weird cabal of corporate people in like velvet, that guy in the velour tracksuit that really good look Gary Gary someone I forget his name and then there's also the strange looking gray haired guy that used to be in a lot of yes those movies from the 70s like oh, what's his name I don't know no but uh yeah well hopefully they'll do an incredible shrinking woman franchise and then we can tackle that on the, the but plot. I was so into that movie as a kid that I asked my mom about it and she's like well there was an incredible shrinking man and I'm like we gotta watch it and I'm thinking like Steve Martin who's in this <laughs> and it's a you know 50s B movie and I was so let down <laughs> <laughs> That's sunny. <laughs> Concepcion. Wait, it's not Don Knotts? <laughs> then what am I watching this for? Uh, I showed Amanda that movie a few years ago and she just loved it. And Incredible Streaky Woman? Yeah. Because, you know, she's younger than I am. So there was a period where I could kind of go like, okay, you haven't seen 9 to 5, you haven't seen Incredible Shrinking Woman, Tootsie, all these kind of yeah. like sweet spot early 80s movies where they're still using that kind of gauzy cinematography, but then they're comedies, but there's a great score and mm -hmm. it actually has nice real moments, Arthur. And yeah. that, I, I really regret that we kind of ran out of those movies. To oh, see. without a doubt. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, the Incredible Shrinking Woman, Tootsie, what was the other one you said? Those three were like... Uh, Oh, and nine to five. And nine to five. But I also showed her Mr. Mom, too. She, that's oh, in that category. Too. That also, all all of those movies were movies that my family watched. These cozy yes. comedy of like soft rock scores. Yeah. And slightly, not slightly, pretty high concept. Yeah. Very high concept. A mom who shrinks, a guy who dresses up to become the biggest actress in the world. Yeah. Nine to five is uh, probably the lowest concept of them all. But yeah, and Arthur has to get his act together. He doesn't. Get I've his never act. seen Arthur though. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. God of the early '80s cozy comedies. How have I missed that? Oh, I kind of want to see that with you, just to experience it f for the first time. I 
Couldn't love that movie more. Dark. Well, if we do a series of two-offs of movies that only have one sequel, we could do Arthur and Arthur 2 on the rocks, oh, right? Arthur 1 and 2 has to be the biggest disparity between oh, an original and a sequel <sighs> in the history of cinema. Whoa, and you've seen your fair share of... I can't think of a bigger drop-off. I really can't. Cannonball Run? No, I because Cannonball no, One doesn't it's, reach the It's not heights. as good as you'd think. Yeah. I think like it often gets like the Smoking the Bandit reputation brought <laughs> along with it. I still love it, but no, I can't believe. And the whole original cast is back. So it's got Liza Minnelli and John Gielgud, who's a ghost uh, in this one. Uh, not to spoil it. but Oh, boy. Yeah. How did, do they make the ghost push portion the thing in the movie? Like, hey, we live in a world of the paranormal. That's just part of its problems. Part of the thing is like- is it like the DTs for him? He's like trying to get <laughs> off. <laughs> but somehow Dudley Moore and Liza Minnelli have this, I don't know if it's the direction or the time of their lives they're in, but they have this chemistry that's really believable. Oh. Which, you know, I think it's probably- fair to say it's difficult to get Liza Minnelli to have sexual chemistry with someone on screen <laughs> just for whatever reason she's not you know she and they do they have a chemistry that really works must be her and British guys because did, did you hear the thing about Peter Sellers and her met and then like 36 hours later held a press conference to tell everybody they were in love no what <laughs> and Dudley Moore's maybe just a stone's throw across the pond yeah from Peter Sellers fair enough by the time you get to the second movie, the, there is such a mm. divide between them just comedically. <sighs> I don't think it, I don't know if it's personal or not, but. Oh no, but they're just not in the pocket anymore. Everything's gone. The cinematography is such that it feels garish and bright. The direction's really bad. I don't know what's happening. There's but a it whole. Blows me away. There's a whole. This could be a study of early 80s Warner Brothers hits. And late 80s sequels where they try to, they're like, we made these hits and we never made sequels off these things. Oh, like what are, what are the other examples? Uh, Caddyshack to Caddyshack oh, 2. yeah, that's a pretty big drop off now that you mention it. Uh, Meatballs 2. Yeah, Arthur to Arthur 2. There's one other, I'll think of it. And it is that, um, and, and what, oh, and the, uh, the Police Academy movies. Oh, yeah. Where they... Um, they de-fang um, them. Yeah. They like start oh, right. as these kind of like right. body, and then by the end they're like, no, eight-year-olds like these. Let's just make Caddyshack 2 for eight-year-olds. Yeah. Um, the, the best case of no sexual chemistry in a Liza Minnelli movie is the Burt Reynolds movie Rent-A-Cop. I heard of Rent-A-Cop. I've seen the poster, but it's... Re Reynolds and Minnelli aren't simmering on no. screen. I mean, they're both probably at the depths of their career, at least to that point. I think it's late 80s. And their wigs. Yeah. And to believe that these two have, like, there's, you can tell the movie's written to have this kind of like, will they or won't they? <laughs> and you, ne you need <laughs> moonlighting level sexual chemistry, even if they hate each other. Right. Know, or charisma. And both of them have, given up and are and probably each have the ego of like well I'm already sexy the other person's gonna have to do yeah, the work it's, it's their fault yeah, yeah forgive me if I've told this story before but there is a moment in this movie where Burt Reynolds and Liza Minnelli are having like a moment and 
Burt Reynolds clearly looks at the camera, like to the director, like, we're going to start this takeover. Like we're not using that. Right. And, and it, he just then looks away and they've clearly just, that was the only take they got. I love stuff like that. I gotta (laughs) see that. There's a moment in little giants, that early nineties, like a little league kid. Yeah. Football, peewee football movie with Rick Moranis where (laughs) a kid is told, sorry, kid, you're cut. And you see a kid off to the side who starts to put his face down in his hands and then looks off to the side to be like, I'm supposed to get sad now? <laughs> and then puts it over his face and then runs away. <laughs> we could theoretically justify rent a cop as a commentary because they, there's like a slasher killer in that movie. Oh, perfect. He wears, <clears throat> for a mask, he wears a motorcycle helmet the whole time. We'll do that with the um, 10 to Midnight Charles Bronson oh, one. Those like... Yeah cop movies that were like there's a slasher thing going on let's bring the slasher into the cop movie yeah that's right that's good okay good uh i think also um somebody online i saw was like maybe it was on our patreon that was like uh for us to do the adult thriller like the the um the fatal attractions and the uh um uh uh why am I blank jagged edge? Yeah. Like those. Oh, erotic of, thrillers. Yeah. 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 Cause like, that's kind of body doubles the gateway into that. That's true. I mean, it's we're, true. we're there if we want to be is all I'm saying. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. If you're just tuning in, we're about to start covering an American werewolf in London. <laughs> well, we've already covered the very opening when yeah. they're walking. Yeah. So that's good. We get to the slaughtered lamb. Um, and, Oh, Oh, just um, when they are walking through in the credits. Oh, we haven't going, even done go, the, Yeah. Going by. Um, we've talked David Naughton. Yeah. This is just an opportunity when their names appear on screen to talk th- about them. Yeah. Famous for a Dr. Pepper commercial. Yes. Yeah. And I remember this commercial in you remember, real time. Well, I'm a pepper too? I'm a pepper. You're a pepper. Wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? And there was kind of dancing. It was a musical. And he also had a uh, singing career with uh, Making It this disco song, David Naughton, because oh, he was on a yeah. TV show called Making It. That's right. And isn't Making It, I'm it, Making It. Yeah, it's a disco song because it's a movie or TV show about a David Naughton played like a guy who's loved disco. Wow, I don't remember. I think that. it only aired for like eight or nine episodes. Good enough. Because um, in the late 70s, becoming 80s, disco wasn't, Maybe uh, people didn't have the fever as much. Yeah, well, they were wrong. Uh, but I've listened to Making It. It's a good song. Yeah. It's on Spotify if people want to. It feels like that could have been a song. I'm just guessing because Meatballs, the song Meatballs. 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 Yeah, this is, is there a part where it goes like, you don't have to be a meatball. Yeah. That was written by Rick Dees, who was. Oh! And so was Disco Duck. I knew that. Yeah. I didn't know he wrote meatballs, though. Yeah, and it feels like making it could have been written by Rick Dees. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I could see a little R Dees <laughs> underneath that. Dees nuts. And then uh, 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 Griffin Dunn. Yeah, um, the actor uh, from I. I first saw him when I was in fourth grade in My Girl, I think it was the first time where I was like, that's Griff. Oh, oh, who's that guy? And and then afterwards I saw um, After Hours. Mm-hmm. I've never seen After Hours. Uh, pretty perfect. I've heard that. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, and he's really funny in it. And kind of plays a similar character as an American, uh-huh. like somebody who's in 
under duress, but has a funny attitude towards it and stuff. Um, and then we talked about it a week or two ago, Johnny Dangerously. Right. He He's plays the, the young brother who can't wait to get laid. <laughs> yeah. But he is he thinking about joining the priesthood? No. <sighs> he just, he can't wait to get laid. Oh, he's like, he's like the district attorney or that's assistant right. DA or something that's got to bust Johnny dangerously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, we talked about Elmer Bernstein, Rick Baker. Um, oh, the uh, some of the producers, George Fulzy Jr. is a um, big collaborator with John Landis to the point that like by Spies Like Us, um, John Landis doesn't take the director DGA, a John Landis film credit it'll be it'll say like before spies like us it'll say like a landis Folsey jr production oh wow um because i think he edits and produces so he has a big hand he's like one of the authors of a lot of like but the the last thing is that i saw was the um peter goober 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 g-u-b-e-r and john peters who were 80s mega producers they produced the 1989 batman oh wow and it was such a hit that they they were like you guys came up with batman you get to run a whole studio now so they columbia hired them to run it with batman (laughs) yeah you guys in the 30s came up with the comic (laughs) batman um and then they went over and then they had this like insane coke fueled run of Columbia where they just like made last action hero and just like put out bomb after bomb. Uh, But John Peters is the guy who was like um, Barbara Streisand's hairdresser who Svengali'd his way or whatever into becoming a Hollywood producer. Oh, wow. And is the guy who Kevin Smith tells that story about he wanted a Superman movie with a guy and a big robot spider. And then Kevin Smith was like, I, no, I don't think so. And then he went to see Wild Wild West, which is produced by John Peters. And there's a big mechanical spider. That's right. Okay, yeah. Oh, God. That's um, amazing. But those are the names. Um, so if you're just joining us, we're about to start talking about <laughs> American Werewolf in London. Uh, now, what? Well, they show up in those... that. The back of the truck with the lambs. Yeah. Headed for slaughter. Yeah, pretty great. Uh, I heard Helen Doolman, John Landis, I heard said in an interview that his wife said to him once, um, you're so on the nose with things, you put the B in subtle. <laughs> so two guys showing up in the back of a truck for lambs ready for slaughter. He's like, you put the B in subtle. <laughs> That's pretty great. Yeah. Um, but the... Uh, I love the the um at the end of Blue Moon at that opening and they sh- they first appear in the truck you hear him sing um now I'm no longer alone and there's a lot of like ironic music usage throughout this movie but I feel like that's the when I heard that I did think like oh that is like this movie does seem to be about like being alone and homesickness. Like that's hmm. when I watch this movie, the pangs that I get are like the experiences I've had of like being in a town that I never been in. And I go into a bar and the people don't want me around hmm. or like I'm in a different time zone. So I can't talk to the people I want to talk to. 
So I'm like suffering alone. Like that's what makes me scared of this movie is like the thought of like if I was backpacking with a friend and I lost my buddy and then I can't get a hold of my family and they're like making decisions for me and while I'm in a coma and stuff. Just it's depressing. Yeah, although it didn't seem to depress David Naughton who got over the death of his friend pretty quickly. <laughs> And just was happy to. Hit well, he found a pretty girl. Yeah, he's horny. True. Yeah, that's true. Um, and then the other little kind of like thing that I like is the um, whether before they go to the slaughter lamb, he's saying to him, "Hey, say knock knock." He goes knock knock, and he goes, "Who's there?" And he's like, "What?" He's like, "You don't get it. You don't get the joke." Yeah. And I thought that does feel a little bit like the fact that it's in the first five minutes of the movie does feel a little bit like the mission statement of the movie a little bit. It's like, you don't get the joke? You're, are you going to get this? You're going to understand what we're doing here? Yeah. We're going to be doing some scary stuff and funny stuff at the same time. So I hope you get this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably not. No, I, I think then I was trying to think, did I not get that joke at first? Well, I don't really there get the joke. It's joke. sort of like he's pimping him out to say knock, knock first, but he then that means you're in charge of coming up with the the joke? Yeah. I don't and I think that was improvised. Oh, really? That's what I read. Uh, I mean, I love that when they're talking, it's kind of got this cool little like rhythm to it. Yeah. And they're talking about girls and like he's kind of he's got like a runny nose. He's yeah. Like wiping his nose while he's like, I like her body, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they apparently didn't know each other and really hit it off. And that was part Aww. of the chemistry of this, you know? And I think one of them is quoted as saying like, you never know when you're going to be paired with an actor, like you, they could not like each other, but we really liked each other and we were similar. And so we really hit it off. That's nice. Yeah. Well, and then Griffin Dunn is um, brother to Dominique Dunn, yeah. which we talked about on our Poltergeist commentary. Available on Patreon. They're separated a year apart, both in horror movies. Mm. And then his sister had such a tragic ending. Yeah. She's killed by a abusive boyfriend. And then their dad, Dominic Dunn, became like a true crime writer because of it. Right. Right? Yeah. He was like inspired by the criminal justice system and how he felt it was whack. Yeah, I think right? so. Um, But, uh, Did you recognize um, our friend from Alien 3? Yeah. Brian Glover. God, he's so good. I know, he's so good. Him just telling that joke. That joke is really good. Imagine if you had people that enraptured by a joke you're telling. In a bar. And and that just, they just like burst out in laughter and applause when you deliver the punchline. (laughs) And doesn't he kind of do a thing before he starts telling the joke of, I'm not going to tell the joke. Oh, yeah. And they're like, come on, come on. You're going to have to get, you're really going to have to convince me to tell this joke. (laughs) I'm not going to tell this joke. And what I love about the joke, too, is it's the feeling of like, it's a gut punch because you kind of go like, fuck, other countries know we're full of shit. Yeah. Even then. And they tell and they make jokes about it when we're not around. I feel like an awareness when George W. Bush took office that it was like, you kind of have to be embarrassed to go abroad as an mm-hmm. American now, or say you're from California or Canada. But I think of these this like Thatcher era as 
Americans mm. could travel with impunity and everybody oh, loved an American. Come on over. But that's probably just what the mentality of that American would be. And you'd but get this there. This is right on the cusp though, right? Because I think this came out early 80, first quarter of 81 when Reagan would have been coming on. So, But it still feels like, yes. like of course, that's what you'd think. And they probably still were kind of like, you turn around and they'd be like making the wanker sign. Yeah, you, you know? didn't help us in the Falklands. <laughs> or did we? I don't know. No, I don't think we did. Uh, uh, yeah, but that joke is also a funny joke because it's like about our, um, the hypocrisy about our heroism in, in war yeah, time. Yeah. The joke is like, Remember the Alamo and the guy throws a Mexican out of an airplane. Right. Because it's like, we like to think yeah. we're heroic, we but we have it. other people go and fight our wars for us. <laughs> and then we don't give them a citizenship. Um, I'm just moving out of the sun. But also that's a another, like, they're talking about movies, right? They're talking about the Alamo and John Wayne, John Wayne movies. So already the sort of like people talking about movies yeah. is happening. Um, the, um, Oh, I was going to ask you, have you been in a situation like that going into a bar full of townies who are unhappy that you've mm. moseyed in? Uh, oh, this relates back to a story I told earlier in a certain sense. Yes. So, uh, long story short on this, Jeff, no, Jeff Davis, my friend. We've talked about him, I think, on mm -hmm. here before. He and I went on that game show shop till you drop and won a trip to Italy. <laughs> and we went to Italy. And <laughs> we went to Italy <laughs> one night. We were like, let's try to get off the beaten path and not go to the famous tourist spots. So we asked around and we're told about this restaurant. No idea what it was or where it was. And we were walking to the restaurant on this, like, off the beaten path through, like, these little squares and alleys. And we were found ourselves in this, like, curved alley. And it did feel like it was out of a movie because we started walking in the alley and we heard all these voices coming at us from around the bend. We knew a group was approaching us. And it felt scary, like, like we were in a kind of rough area and heard these men, like, teenage guys or something uh, like it. it felt like a gang and then around the corner you could see their shadows were projected <gasps> larger as they rolled around like a frankenstein's mob or yes the, uh... and one of them had a boom box on their shoulder and we're like is this gonna be like some themed gang from warriors like are, we, <laughs> are they gonna be like italian chefs all, <laughs> what, what are we in the gondola in store for yeah <laughs> And they came around the corner and one of them pressed play on the thing. And it was, I can feel it coming in the air. Tonight. Two stories. Yeah. And we just laughed and went like, oh, we'll be okay. And we just walked <laughs> right past him. The least threatening group pranks Phil Collins. Yeah. And not and only was it Phil least threatening, Collins. but it actually was endearing. We were kind of past him and like, hey, buddy. All right. Hey, yeah. we're all buddies. Can we join? Um do you think they were playing it when you and Amanda were hanging out on the escalator? I that same wish, that's band? The same, that's like, that's like our angel, our Michael <laughs> Landon. But I did get the sense that they were playing it like, you want to see Badass? Here's Badass, <laughs> you know. Because this was also 94, so that song had been out for 13 years. But maybe it just reached those shores. <laughs> uh, the uh, Also the... I know that it's, that's it, been out 13 years, by the way, because I just watched a production YouTube video about <laughs> the making of that. The one well, that it's a risky business, right? Yeah. Were and, you afraid that gang was going to try to kiss you? Maybe I wished. <laughs> but I just learned that that 
those drums were recorded with the mic that you use on the mixer, the reverse talkback mic to talk to people in the studio, you know, like, Hey, how was that take? They used other mics, but they, they were, they ran a high compressor on that and noise gate so that it, as soon as the sound decays on that drum hit, the noise gate takes it out completely. So when you listen to that, it's that, and it's gone, you know, and that was done partially with the mic in the ceiling oh that was an my. old mic that they wouldn't use for recording that's why they put it up there that is awesome i love that kind thank of you You're that's welcome. like god yeah. bless you you're welcome high point holy cow sorry go ahead no uh uh, uh oh uh, well just for phil collins though that is a very threatening song right didn't he I witness suppose. a murder or something that's the, the, the other thing i learned about that that's all uh, urban myth <laughs> no it's true. He witnessed a murder and then he wrote a song about it and he invited the guy who was the killer to the concert shined a light on him. What's not realistic about this? He said, even though the the basis of it is the rage he felt from a bad divorce, he basically improvised the lyrics as he sang them and then wrote them down after. Oh, because, yeah, people think the lyrics are about, like, I saw you kill a girl. Yeah. Or something. yeah. It's about a divorce? A hundred percent, yeah. Collins was going through a Genesis divorce. Yeah, well, that too. But he, the divorce was so bad that his wife and kids had moved out, and he turned his master bedroom into a recording suite where he wrote that song. I don't <laughs> need you, love. I'm in love with my... My music loves me more and sleeps with me more. Um, <laughs> I don't... This music is okay, but Phil Collins is a person. Really, I don't know anything else about him, really. He took time out to be like, I hate Paul McCartney, and he treated me mean. I'm like, mm. oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that would make me turn on somebody, but what? <laughs> I think also I I gotta rethink this. I think I've I've maybe drank the Kool Aid of years of people saying Phil Collins is a dork. I think that's why I love him. Yeah, I don't know that I love him. Well, I, I mean, I'm forever tied to a positive thing because of my meeting with Amanda. Of course. But I also was watching the behind the scenes 20 years later on the Band-Aid, Do They Know It's Christmas? I think maybe I mentioned it on here. And everybody's in there in their new wave, fancy bullshit clothing. And he just comes in with a sweater vest and a button up and lays down the most amazing drum track in one take. That's that's like Joel, or Billy two. Joel, in uh, the We Are The World session. Everybody's kind of out there like really... Uh, being cock of the walk and you're sort of shocked that Billy Joel is like this kind of quiet guy who's just being modest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the uh, um, um, just now when you mentioned oh, the, that Phil Collins song the, the uh, what I do like a lot is that I mean I love Phil Collins growing up when Studio would come on I'd be like yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, talk about a made up lyric. <laughs> did he just make? That I don't up? know. It's got to be, but probably isn't. Sounds Sue Sue. Pseudo, <laughs> what he's coming up with. Uh, what's the one that's like, but when we loaded, something happened when you came to heaven. I don't know this one. You wanted me. Is this Phil Collins or Genesis? Uh, Phil Collins. Oh, sorry. Let's move on. <laughs> I don't uh, take something happened on the way to heaven or oh, something. What's yeah. that song called? Um, 
Uh, Is it not called that? Serious Hits Live. Something happened on the way to heaven. Yeah. Can you play a little bit of it? This is the live version. Oh, yes. Oh, you were doing the horn part there. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Doesn't this make you want to, like, put on some matching suits and go dancing? Yeah, Matt for Puffer, matching Puffer jackets. Matt for Puffer. Wow. Oh, my gosh. If you're just joining us. <laughs> Are we 10 minutes into this movie? No. Well, we got to the pub. No, I don't think we are. Okay. We're further? No, we're less. Because <laughs> they haven't even left the pub to get the werewolf Okay, we got to... Sorry. We've just been laxing. Okay. Well, when they get out to the moor and they're kicked out of the pub, basically, yep. Yep. when you start to hear the werewolf growls, which I think are a conglomeration of different animals and stuff, and I was... You know, I've been having this real bad time with my Sonos Beam soundbar and my Samsung TV uh-uh. and my other surround things. But I finally, you know, like I haven't fixed it, but I have to s- turn it on and uh, like unplug the Samsung thing every time I watch TV if I want it to have surround sound. Uh, but uh-huh. I wasn't going to not watch this with surround sound. What am I, a communist? Yeah. Uh, and then it paid off because when the just the places the werewolf growl yes. is changing and coming from... That happened to me too. Oh, that was so, so cool. Yeah. Because um, it matches sort of like probably what they were feeling out in that field. Yeah. This is why we fight. This is it's like, I keep trying to tell Amanda like streaming wars and the coronavirus, you can't see movies in theaters, but visually it's gotten pretty good at home. But a lot of people don't take the time to get their sound right. And I'm not being a snob about no, it. I, I'm just saying for me, when it's on, it makes the experience so much better. And I think I told you when I go and see movies I've watched a hundred times in a theater again, like, oh, the new Beverly is showing such and such a movie. The thing I notice the most when I go see a movie in a theater is there's so much sound stuff that I mm. don't catch at home. Yeah. Um, so... Again, we got to get back into theaters so we can oh. get those wolf sounds. I mean, we can have it at home, but still, you're right. Um, when they're walking along, too, I'm like totally. Uh, I get what the. I would all think it's mumbo jumbo. Like those those two when they're like, eh, these guys are talking about werewolves. I would want to get away from that bar. Yeah, of people I think are like threatening weirdos. And it isn't until, like, I'm just saying I'm in step with this movie as it, like, mm-hmm. unfolds because they don't start getting scared then until they see the wolf when they're out. And they're like, shit, we got to, or they start hearing it. Yeah. And it's the same thing. I would be like, I'm not going to trust whatever mumbo jumbo uh, they were kind of putting out. Yeah. And then it wouldn't be until the reality that I'm in a field and I hear an animal that I'd get scared. Yeah. You know how they tell them to stay on the road and they get off the road? But it's funny, you actually see them get off the road and it's so funny because it just seems like an actual deliberate left turn because it's pretty well lit and you can see the road really well and they just kind of they don't just veer off they just kind of take a sharp like angled left that was the first time i had noticed that too and i loved it because i was like it it, it was two things i was like we get to see the moment where they go off the road and we don't always yeah. get to see those choice and also it does 
it does seem to kind of come out of their like arrogance or whatever. Yeah, it's just sort of yeah. like, oh. yeah, we'll go this way. And then I love it because when they go off the road, they don't clock it. And then it starts to rain and then they start to like sing. Like they're so arrogant that they're like, it's funny that we're we're in the rain right now. We're immortal. We're young men. We're American young men. (laughs) Also, it does tap into that fear of when I go to a different town, you make this dumb assumption all the time that everybody wants things in your best interest. Yeah, right. That this... Tourist community exists only to make sure you're fucking happy the whole time. And it's like, no, there's times where I've like asked a question. How can I get to there? And somebody gives me directions and I start walking. And I'm like, do they actually care that I get to the place? What do they care? They're probably annoyed that I showed up and asked them a question. Um, and I did once in the last couple of years, I was driving south with our bands. We were playing down in um, San Diego or something. And we stopped in a, a bar to get some food and eat. And I totally got the townie. San Diego? Is, was it in San it Diego? It was outside of San Diego. Still, well, like Oceanside or something. Mm-hmm. Like. That area, I always get, especially in a bar or kind of like a restaurant with a bar, a really aggro vibe. Yeah, everybody was, was pissed off that we were coming in. And then I was standing at the bar and I got an aggro vibe from a guy who... There was cash in front of me. From I put down cash to pay. And I put my hand on the money. And the guy was like, is that your money? The guy next to me. Jeez. Like I was trying to... My big grift is coming into bars and yeah. stealing other people's money that's on the bar. And the guy only asks you that if he's done it himself. <laughs> totally. Yes. It also, like, it, your question of like, if you're in that situation, have you been that person... In, in the same way that I try to ask myself, am I prejudiced? Am I racist? Am I misogynist? Like, I try to think, like, have I been in a situation before where outsiders come in and I give them at it? I don't think so. No, I never have. I don't think. I don't, I hate, if anything, I err on the side of inclusivity because I, I don't want people to feel unwelcome. Right. I'm just realizing my dad and my grandpa and I went to Ireland in 2006 to Mm. kind of do a lineage thing. And we went to Belfast and up to Northern Ireland where my family's from. And we ended up in this like small parish county of Magrafelt. And we went into this bar and I can't tell if I was making it that way in my mind, but it did feel a lot like, who are you and what are you doing here? Because I think I took, care to just kind of wear clothes that could fit in there and my grandpa dressed like a grandpa so he had like an you know like one of those flat caps and a and a like wool sweater so he looked like an old Irish guy but my dad was probably in like American athleisure and right away gave us away that's honey (laughs) (laughs) he uh uh yeah he came in uh uh (laughs) with an American flag bandana (laughs) singing Bruce Springsteen and I was like very conscious of like, you know, like in the north, it's Derry County. You don't call it London Derry because that's what. Ah. Well, you no. do if you live, if you're a loyalist or, you know, and then also like you got to drink Bush Mills in the north and Jameson in the south. And like there's all these telltale giveaway signs about which whiskey you drink. And- well, maybe you can give me a, a, a clue in on this because later when the doctor goes to the bar, and he's like, and throw a little Guinness in there just some, for some spice. And it cuts to a couple of the patrons, the regulars. They look at each other like, this dumbass. 
order in. Like, I didn't know if that was like a tell yeah, of like an I don't know about outsider. that. I, that's strange because it's England and so that's just an Irish beer. So I don't know if maybe that is, I don't know. It made me wonder, is the doctor Irish and like he's, they're kind of like, there's a culture clash here, but I don't think so. He yeah, I'm, I I didn't. I mean, wasn't I the guy know. from Halloween three? <laughs> he did look like him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. Huh. Um, I know they filmed that section in Wales. Oh, that the part whole, of the moors, oh. all that area. Yeah, and it is good advice to stay on the road away from the moors because once you're in the moors, you're like, oh, some wolves are going to show up. Yeah, if you're not careful. Um. Oh, one of the things that, you know, when I was earlier, like comedy and horror can sometimes use the same like setups and editing patterns. Like the first time I noticed like, oh, they have the choice to either this could be scary or funny is like the setup of cutting back and forth between them on walking and then the bar, the people in the bar mm. talking like, should we have done that? You should have stayed. That setup of cro- cross cutting between two things could be easily comedy. Yeah. Right. But it's used for suspense, which is like you're cutting away from these guys and you're finding out, ooh, it actually is bad. And they're walking into something scary. They're not walking into something funny. Same with when uh, Griffin Dunn gets attacked and there's that moment of comedy where David Naughton falls. And it's both comedy and horror because that would be your your switch that you would do in horror too, like a, a little minute of release. Yeah. And then, you, then you're you think it's safe, and then and they then have that attacked. moment of laugh, like yeah. levity, like ha ha. I was yeah. scared there for a moment. You fell, and then he gets attacked. Yeah. yeah. And then I love this isn't comedic. This is horror, and kind of a rare thing in horror, or maybe it, it's the difference between action and horror, is like once he gets attacked, he starts running. I know. And I, I was like, oh, wow, nice friend. But then he realizes, I'd forgotten that he realizes and does go back. Yeah. I mean, I told you I'd be somebody who would like, during McCarthyism would be like, he's a communist, he's a communist, he's a communist. <laughs> I would be the person who would be ruddied. I'd be like, what am I going to do? I'm going to go back to go and stop this with werewolf from, or this wolf eating well, my Well, you friend. have a point. You do have a point. The, Cowardless, <laughs> cowardice. There is a reasonable uh, reasonability about cowardice. <laughs> it's there's nothing saying you can't be a coward, but also understand the logic of the situation and that you couldn't do anything. Like both yes. can be true. Yes, <laughs> but a hero would be like, "Damn it, screw the odds. I'm going back there yeah, and saving my friend." But that hero would likely be killed. Yeah, and, and would did. have been if if those guys hadn't shot the wolf. Oh, and he would have just continued to be undead because they shot that yeah. werewolf. Now he's... No. It's interesting. Griffin Dunn should be able to die because he was attacked by that werewolf and that werewolf was shot. Huh. Yeah, good point. He wasn't attacked by David Naughton. He was attacked by that guy who was shot. Yeah, good point. Unless he didn't fully die until after the shooting. And then the person who becomes the werewolf next, that's Carries Griffin the, Dunn's on his. He's grandfathered in. I mean, you're right. That's, that is a weird slip up. Also, why doesn't the village kill David Naughton? If they, they firmly believe and they've seen, they know that this is the case here. Why do they just dress his wounds, bandage him up and send him away? Yep. Because they're already covering up a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, 
yeah, you could just shoot David Naughton and then the uh, actor. I so clearly remember the first time I watched this and it cuts after they've been attacked and sh- and the werewolf was shot and they cut to the naked man bleeding going, just blowing my mind going, oh, I don't, I, do I get what that is? Oh, guys, that's, oh, that's the werewolf. Like yeah. I did, didn't Well, and you might not get together. it until, some people might not get into the end of the movie yeah. when they see that he's back yeah, to that. Yeah, I think that yeah. was the thing. Yeah. And that was. It's maybe, as far as moments go, I think my favorite moment in the movie when I was watching, yeah. when he looks over, it's such a weird, odd yeah. moment. Yeah. Because also this and David Naughton in the end, if I'm not mistaken, the wounds are flowing. They're not just dressed with blood, but they're like, they're not gushing. They're not dripping. It's kind of that thing where it's just like a steady stream of blood coming out of the wounds. And it's really effective and you barely notice it. Yeah. But the blood is rippling a little bit. I'm also so dumb that I can't cite it, but also looks like old paintings of like angels where they're like... Oh, like a Hieronymus Bosch painting? like a Yeah, just like the naked body yeah. with like arrows in them. Yeah. And it's sort of this like... Um, like this, Magical death. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. this wound in Christ's side or yeah. something. Yeah. I mean, I do think there's also like... Later with the, um, like the kind of SS ghouls that show up in his fantasy and stuff. And the kind of like being Jewish Americans in... Europe and England. I do think there's stuff that's kind of about like the remnants of Holocaust and being an outsider in Hmm. England. And like, um, I mean, I I could be off about this, but it just, it feels like that's, there's, that's part of the fear in this movie is kind of like, what does it mean to be maybe not even Jewish American, just to be American back in my former home country that has like folklore stuff that I'd like to forget about. Yeah. And it's curious that they mentioned that maybe he's Jewish cause he's circumcised, right. but then that guy takes pains to say, well, a lot of Americans are now. So you don't know that. Yeah, the, the other nurse, does, oh, the, nurse yes. Alex, says to the oh, body yeah. nurse actually it's more content a lot of people yeah. do it now yeah paul rust is circumcised and he's not <laughs> <laughs> when this movie was coming out paul was getting circumcised because uh, i've done a lot of thinking about that the nazi demon guys because mm-hmm. i that sequence stayed with me forever as a kid mainly because of the twist of a dream within a dream which i thought yes as the first time i remember being so petrified by that but also i think like the first time going like wow what an amazing filmmaking thing. Like yeah. How, that and the ending of Halloween. And I just feel like as much as I want to apply dream imagery and meaning behind that, that just seems to me because of the disparate component parts of it, Nazi helmets, modern guns, monsters. It just feels like John Landis is with, I want to put a bunch of cool shit together. Yeah. Like, and make cool, a, scary shit too. Cool, maybe. scary shit. Yeah. yeah. Like terrifying stuff. Yeah. Cause they're also not like wearing Nazi insignia, are they? No. It's just a German helmet with yeah. kind of bland fatigues. And then there's an Uzi and there's yeah. a Mac 11, which was so big in action movies of the 70s and the oh. 80s. And then a World War II British gun. I know, no. I know I'm overthinking this. I but. don't think you are. That's like all very important stuff. Like that, it is like this kind of like 
forgive me, like a postmodern thing where like time doesn't matter anymore. It's all collapsing on each other and you take all the like components that are cool and which makes me think that it's like stuff is so specific. It almost just seems random. And like, let's like the prop guy brought some guns. I want that one, that one and that one. And like, well, the ending too, like feels like, um, I, I thought the similar thing with when there was a scene where there was a bunch of dead ghouls and a porno theater and, it's going to lead to an insane car accident. I was like, this is what I love about this era of like 70s into early 80s a tourist cinema is like what you were saying, just like John Landis was like, I'm just going to put a bunch of cool shit in this. See, it's like, that's what I, in that moment is when I thought that was like, this is what's awesome about a tourism where it's like, he's just putting all of his interests and fascinations into one scene. They're in a porno theater. You get to look at a screen with a woman with gigantic breasts. Mm -hmm. But you also just have to look a little bit over and see people rotting. And then just outside the door is going to be this Blues Brothers level car accident. Like, it's really satisfying when you can just like watch a movie inside somebody's brain. 100%. But why does that not normally work? Because you can see through the cracks that it's just someone's wet dreams splashed up on stage. Yeah. Where Might also just have to be like your interest. Are you That's probably true. No, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's how I feel like all the time like when people are like Magnolia is too long and I'm like, but if you love Magnolia, it's the perfect amount. Uh-huh. Like it's sort of like if if you like somebody's sort of tawdry taste, you're like, I don't care. Yeah. Like um, I guess that is true. Or like the day of the jackal so long, but it's just a slow, slow sequence of watching some guy's process work over time. Yeah. <laughs> and thank I, you for this. Yeah. More. I'm, why isn't there more? Why didn't you do it in actual real time in the <laughs> last weeks? Um, but I do think, yeah, I hear what you're saying. That that it is probably like the most visceral part of the movie. More than like his transformation is the scene. For me, it it does feel like um, a, wow, what if we got to America and we got a cozy suburban house with a fireplace and we get, we sit here with a family and some of us are doing homework and eating and watching the Muppets on TV. We've made it. We're out of the dark ages. And then like, there's a knock on the door and it's like these scary European mm. oh yeah just came busting down your door and it's like nope you didn't get like this is scary what if you like it's it's a little bit like the Twilight Zone the movie segment mm-hmm. of somebody who's like comfortable in their American life and then they get brought back into like the horrors of history that you thought you survived somehow or got past it is a really scary thing for me like that scene uh, does hit a nerve because it is like when they're in there and now they're taking the fire out of the fireplace to set the house on fire and the fire's like uncontrollable. It's like it's getting out of the fireplace. That level of mayhem is like, is really scary. It's also, I think expertly done in terms of how a dream works because there are logic problems that are the kind you get in dreams. Why are these monsters like, politely knocking on the door so you you and your dream something's happening like maybe a, a knock in the real world is happening and it's an infiltrating your dream but you don't know what's behind that right. door until you open it and yes. then it's a scary thing and then 
you're seeing scenes in the kitchen that you're not even part of. The fact that they go and just hold a knife to him, the dreamer, and he has to witness his family be killed is something like, I feel like I have those dreams yeah. when you're forced to watch. It also things. is like a little bit of a dream recreation of what he experienced with his friend. Yeah. Getting attacked by the wolf. Right. You're just sort of like helpless watching this. And he doesn't get killed till the end and then he wakes up when he's killed. Right. Yeah, yeah. I love what you're saying, though, too, about you're seeing things in the dream that he's not privy to. He couldn't be looking in those moments, yeah. but it is like a dream where you yeah. exist in multiple, yeah. Which also, to me, kind of explains, I don't know if this is on purpose, but the randomness of, like, they're Nazis, but they're kind of not Nazis, and they've got these guns I've seen in movies and uh, they're, they're monsters, but yeah. they're soldiers. And Oh, and your yeah. description of it is, uh, is, is better, which is like, yeah, they're not um, Nazi monsters. It is, I think you're right. It's supposed to be more kind of like from, or a conglomeration of, your, uh, yeah, conglomer- of all the evil things. Like yeah. what are the worst things? Monsters a coalescing and of all these yeah. horrific images. Yeah. yeah. And then it does feel like a tonal thing of the whole movie, which is it is right next to the Muppet Show or whatever. Yeah. Like comforting things and funny things. Being so close to horror, it feels like what the movie is vibe is. Too. And had a dream within a dream been done prior to that point because it's one of those things is like you struck gold yeah how has that never been thought of or done before maybe it has but that's the only one i'm aware of i yeah. think i've seen one or two that have come after but that was the first time i'd seen in a movie though and it's i can't just think brilliant. yeah i was just i remember that like this is what movies are all about yeah. is i remember sitting on my floor watching that and feeling safe because it was over taking a breath and the, she opens the curtain and there it is. And it's just like, I hated it at the time, yeah. but I look back and I'm so thankful for those moments. Same well, with when Michael Myers gets up and walks away. And yeah. Like, you know. Well, then when he wakes up, <laughs> doesn't he say, holy shit? It's like a funny moment. And I did think like the, um, the scary thing. And then the person going, holy shit is the best version of horror comedy. Because it's what we're talking about. The scary stuff is funny, scary, and the funny stuff is funny. All of that dream up until that point is scary. He says, holy shit, it's funny, and it does it's not at the sake of the scary stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's he's right to say holy shit. Yeah. Because it is scary. And also there's even comedic elements in the dream, the way that the parents get shot and disappear stage left or stage right. right also we've talked about this before that typically in horror movies guns are not scary they kind of if anything ruin yeah. it a little people under the stairs like it it's somehow knives and and goring and flesh is scary but guns aren't but in this the guns are scary because it feels yeah. like um there's no there's an inevitability to the do like yeah what's you, in, it's inescapable about yeah. the dream is what's scary about it yeah right? it's so these things are like these monsters could have come in and just devoured them with their teeth, but they're choosing to use efficient execution <laughs> weapons. It's really, yeah. it really has like five layers that you're at the same time never able to process and then viscerally yeah. processing all together at once. Not yeah. to like not to no. overweight it. I know, no, no. This the, is an experience I had when I was a kid, just going, I fully understand this, and yet it is completely alien to me, and that's what's so effective. Yes. About it. Yeah. It also, the experience I had, it was not exactly, but kind of matched by when I first saw Natural Born Killers and they do that I Love Mallory, I Love Lucy sitcom spoof 
the combination of like benign things that you're used to with like malevolence is yeah. like really it throws me for a loop. It'd be much easier if he was in a filthy brothel and those guys came in and disrupted oh, right, it. Right. But the fact that you're with your family watching Muppet Show it makes it so much more horrified. Yeah. This scene does make me there's this happens a few times when we watch these movies like Halloween and stuff where I want to watch this with like my 20 year old niece and see like would she just laugh at this scene or does it still hold something I can't tell because it's too baked into my DNA as a as a formative moment of cinema for me I think because it's so startling and gory it I'd like to think it still would pack a punch for these kiddos. Yeah. Yeah. There was one point, though, I asked that question where when he shows up to to kill that couple that's going to the dinner date at the friend's house, and they're, like, walking around all British-y, it looked like a movie from, like, 1971. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I thought to myself, like, if I showed this to somebody, would they... Jesus, dude. I know. And there's times like even within the most brilliant werewolf practical transformation is so incredible. And yet there's one shot where he's just still human headed and is naked on the chest, but has this like fur <laughs> cowl and it, it just taken by itself out of context. I snapped out of it and I was just like, <laughs> what? He looks like Alice the goon in a Popeye commercial. <laughs> cartoon or something. Maybe like a, a, a werewolf movie can't truly be a werewolf movie unless it has some dodgy effects. Or like, yeah, oh, maybe boy. that's part of it. Yeah, yeah. part of the beauty. Um, oh, uh, do you want to just talk about the Frank Oz little cameo? That was my next note, that he's so good in this. Yeah. So good. He has a thing in um, John Landis movies where he's always like the bureaucratic asshole. Yeah, Spies Like Us. It's Spies Like Us. He's like the test moderator in Blues Brothers. He's the guy who's like takes the stuff for Elwood when Elwood's getting checked out and he's like giving him back all this stuff. Um, But I mean, his voice, obviously, we all know Frank Oz has like one of the best voices in the world. But when he's like, Mr. Kessler, Mr. Kessler. Oh, so good. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thank you, Gorley. Wow. I practiced this morning. <laughs> I was like, Leslie was upstairs and I was wondering if she could hear me going, Mr. Kessler, Mr. Kessler. But you you are doing something that because a lot of people will do Yoder, Miss Piggy. You're getting that pitch slide in there where it goes from high to low phlegmy. He does do that with like, okay. Like yeah. it is the high to the low or Yoda does the high to the low. That's really, that's maybe one of the best. Thank you, Gorley. Pauses I've heard. <laughs> wow. Um, and then he, John Landis, does a cameo in Frank Oz's first sole directorial movie, Muppets Take Manhattan, hmm. uh, uh, where he plays like a same kind of bureaucratic asshole to the Muppets. Oh, wow. Are you a Muppets Take Manhattan fan? I, I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but I bet I am. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's my favorite of the Muppets. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of Blues Brothers, I read this on IMDb, but I wonder if it's true that Landis had Aykroyd and Belushi in mind for the for the main roles. Oh, well, that makes sense then when Accurate is in the Twilight Zone version of I the like, buddies. And I think they were doing Continental Divider Neighbors at the same time. And, co- and he's wearing that stuff in yeah, Continental Divide, yeah. right? They mentioned that in the blurb I read, but I wonder if that's true or not. I, 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 
It's a different movie for sure. Yeah, and then who would it have been? Belushi. John Belushi is the Griffin Dunn. Yeah. yeah. But you could, I could easily picture Belushi coming back, you know, just, hey, buddy. You, you know, know, it's funny too. The, um, yeah, right, right, right. Because then Dan Aykroyd in Trading Places kind of has a David Naughton arc, oh, which is yeah. like loses what he has but finds it through the love of a prostitute or nurse who sort of gets him back up on his feet oh, coming to america too in a way yeah yeah um that's funny then um yeah really and then true. in wired the john belushi biopic movie yeah he gets visited it's this terrible choice of the movie that there's some magical realism where he gets visited by his angel I think his name is Angel. And it's like a guy who's like, me and Neil Campbell always make jokes about it. There's this guy who comes in, he's like, you're a dead man. And he's like drumming with his fingers on a table. He's like, sorry, Belushi, you're a dead man. What? <laughs> and it's like, I've never seen this. It's terrible. But the idea is like, uh, <laughs> what if my guardian angel was not the one I expected? What if I got Taylor Negron? Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> right. But it, uh, it's, um, uh, uh, I'm saying it's like an American werewolf or London now. It's like, uh, sorry, this is so dumb, but it was just like, wait, John Belushi was supposed to be the guardian angel to Dan Aykroyd, but instead he got one and wired. <laughs> oh my God. That's going to, if there's one thing that's going to come out of this podcast, it's that observation. Daily beast. <laughs> Paul Rust makes <laughs> confounding observation. <laughs> hey, have you seen American Werewolf in Paris? Me? Yeah, no. me neither have I. With I, the the that thing you do guy. Yeah. What's his name? Tim Tim Everett Scott Ryan. Yes. What's his name? Tom Everett. Tom Scott? Everett Scott. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if I have, don't know if it's good or bad. I have no idea. I don't either. And you know, I'm glad you chose this. Um I don't think we'll ever watch the sequel, right? Unless we would have done that for the, the two-offs season, yeah. you know? Um, going to shield our recorder from the sun. Ooh, smart thinking. It's getting a little warm. Um, you know when he, they, he wakes up from the coma and they go, two weeks have passed? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we kind of know that's probably a little bit so they can kill some time before the next phase of the moon. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I think so. Um, Do they say three weeks, I think? Oh, that's a long coma for. I know. Um, also, his family doesn't come. Like he, the whole funeral, Griffin Dunn's body gets shipped back home. They talk about the funeral. Yeah, you think those parents would be on a plane to? And you never. They never. You never see them except in the dream. Right, and maybe that's his just his dream parents. <laughs> dream parents. Everybody's got dream parents. Mine are. Mine are Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love. <laughs> Mine are Sid and Nancy Vicious. <laughs> and uh, Meredith Baxter Bernie and Michael Gross from Family Ties. <laughs> I have step parents. We all wish we had former hippie parents. Yeah, were but cool. Sid Vicious is married to Meredith Baxter Bernie and Michael Gross to Nancy Vicious. <laughs> to uh, bring together the Gary Oldman and uh, the Sid Vicious of it all. Have you watched Sid and Nancy recently? Not recently, no. Uh, I really love it. You know what? Kind of is like the the ghouls breaking into the house. Oh, There's yeah. a scene where Sid and Nancy, when they're in America, go and visit Nancy's parents, and it's my favorite 
scene in the movie. Oh, I don't remember that. Because it's just these Midwestern squares who are like, who are these punkers? <laughs> what has happened to our daughter? And they start, they get an acoustic guitar and they start singing Sex Pistols songs for the family. And she's got a brother named Chip or Chipper, they call him. And there's a Sex Pistols line where they're like, she don't want a baby that looks like that. She don't want a baby that looks like that. And they're singing it. And they go, she don't want a baby that looks like Chipper. <laughs> 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 Still cracks me up, Gorley. Uh, I just would want a whole movie about like the time Sid and Nancy came and visited her like yeah. square fair we in the Midwest. Sid and Nancy in America. Yeah. Speaking of comedy, how mm-hmm. about Sergeant McManus, the assistant Scotland Yard detective? <laughs> when I thought of the scariest scary and the funniest funny, yeah. I thought him. That he's so first stuff he's doing in there? Really good. Subtle. I mean, it's not subtle, like it's being it's being showcased, but he's Playing it down. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a perfect marriage of like broad American sense of comedy sensibilities of John Landis with like dry British oh, wit. I love that. Because it is like funny stuff of like, they kind of do like a almost a British play on an American thing where like he's about to go out the door. That It's later in the movie. It's yeah. his second scene, yeah. but the door closes. And instead of him running into the door, yeah. he just kind of takes a small step and realizes it's yeah. closed. And then looks at them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, guy's very funny. Yeah. Do you know what was he a? I don't know. Part of the Goon Show. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, or Beyond the Fringe. Oh, uh, and one of the young ones is two. The, there were supposed to be two of them in it, and one of them didn't believe, thought it was a joke, and didn't show up. Wait, were they were the young ones? So it was like a cool, like, hey, let's cast a couple of the. I guess Rick Mayall ah. and I forget the other guy. Again, I'm reading all this shit online, so, you know, uh, and I'm making half of it up. But is the guy, is the one who was in there, the Drop Dead Fred one? Rick Mayall? I think so, yeah. Yeah. I wasn't a big Young Ones fan, but I knew they had this fake kind of Spinal Tap group called Bad News. Mm. That was really funny. Did you like the Young Ones? I never got that into it, not because I didn't like it, but I just, it never really crossed my... Could never have access to it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think for a while, remember. I want to say it was on Comedy Central at some point. I maybe saw a couple hmm. episodes. But am I making this up? Is one of the young ones also in The Last Jedi as the, like... Rick sh- Ole? <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, I'm sorry. That's Wait, Phantom Menace. I still want Rick Ole to have... Did, he never died. He could theoretically be an old man in Last Jedi. No, Rick. he'd have to be like... He would have to be like a hundred years old in the Possible. last Jedi. That's Yoda okay. ain't young. That's right. But who's the guy in Last Jedi that's the commander of the Imperial ship in the beginning sequence where you know he talks like this? Like the Donald Gleason guy? No, he's an older guy. Oh. And he's the one that the bomber gets through and blows up that dreadnought. And they have a shot on him when the explosions are rippling up the bow of the ship, and he's just kind of like this defiant resignation of he's going to die, but he's from some British comedy or something. I want to say it's the young ones, but I could be wrong. Mighty Boosh. Oh, I wish. (laughs) I only saw uh, Last Last Jedi the once, so it was hard for me in that moment to even recall. I don't expect you to be able to pull those moments. How many times have you seen Last Jedi? I've seen them all so many times. You even like the ones that aren't your favies. Yeah, I'll still, because like the best the best 
the best day fishing still better <laughs> than the the worst day fishing still better than the best day work. My dad had that shirt. Yeah. 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 Um Little Benjamin. I No. 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 Who's the little boy patient that keeps saying no? That little bit. So cute. I know. And yeah. even the kid, like, you could see the kid just looking off camera. And I know. I saw that too. I was like, oh. he was cutting people up. And and um, I also thought that's a good, it's a way to make a kid funny without him being too precocious. And also, he can't screw that up. I know. I was like, that's pretty brilliant to give a gag for a kid. Just have, hey, just say no, whatever she says that's to something you. a kid would do too. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's good. Um, I if I would have seen that when I was a kid, I would have hated him though. I resented any child actor who was getting to do what I so wanted uh. to do. <laughs> <laughs> did you want to be when you were a kid? Did you want to be an actor and stuff? Or I think I did. I think I because if you wanted to, you just had to ask mommy to drive you to an audition, right? Have, not out of principle, but like I just don't think I could have got my mom to figure all that out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I wanted to be a stuntman <laughs> more than anything. Actually, that reminds me, I happened upon YouTube. Like, I'll often look at old stunt shows on YouTube, but I saw the one that was from the 80s at Universal Studios. And you know how we talked about the guy from Airplane at the end mm-hmm. that died early, but he had such this unique comedic delivery? And part of it is kind of just his his flair, and he kind of had mm-hmm. a, like an effeminate yeah. flair. There was a guy who did the comedic part in the 80s, early 70s and 80s stunt show at Universal, and it came up, and I'd never watched it before, and he had that kind of similar flair, and set against the two other like kind of macho stuntmen, he's so funny. His delivery, comic delivery is so good, and his timing is so good, and the other guys are just kind of okay. They actually are stuntmen, and they're not great actors. This guy was an act like he was a comedian and he was doing things that straight guys would have tried to copy it and made it camp and just fallen flatter on their faces where this guy had an expertise. I, I, so I went down this rabbit hole finding out who he is because he also, they say their names at the end of the stunt show and I had to figure out how to spell it. His name's Bob Rochelle. He's done some film work. He was in the Presidio. He's in a like B horror movie and he died in like 2008 and I found his obituary and he just, I just became obsessed with this that, guy. Cause I just, he's just one of those guys. You ever find someone like you pluck them out yep. of the ether and go, I wish we were friends and I don't yeah. know anything else about him yeah. except for he was in a stunt show that I coveted and wanted to be in and never could have been as good as he was in the thing. That's awesome. And do you think you saw him? I knew it positive. I'm positive because I recognized him Right away, because he also has like long curly red hair and a mustache where I've seen the other guys who did that role. They didn't look like him. I am 100% positive I saw him. And I think that's probably also what I'm tying to like him connecting with me. And when I would do these stunt shows as a kid for the neighborhood, you'd imagine him. (laughs) I, I wrote not wrote, but like I created the characters after him and (laughs) named my character Stinky Stew thinking like that's probably what that guy's name was <laughs> i don't know i don't know but i want i'm so sad that he's dead because actually maybe it's a good thing because i probably would have tried to contact him and say could we could i just buy you lunch it would have been like field of dreams though where kevin Costner goes to james Earl he's like get out of here i know i know but i read his obituary and he he did work in 
these stunt shows. He grew up in Long Beach, but he moved to Las oh. Vegas. And I think he did shows in Las Vegas and his cast remembers him as really funny and really kind. And that's just, this guy just lives in my memory that way. That is awesome. And that's kind of like, I think maybe what every performer maybe hopes like yeah, I, 30 years after I did this thing, this guy still remembers this. But he probably it, never would have imagined that. And he did the Knott's Berry Farm stunt shows and was, I think, known to be one of the only ones that would play all the parts. And Wow. He was just always in the background of my youth and never I never knew it until now. Cause like, and if we wanted to watch that stunt show on YouTube, we could? Yeah. And I, I hope it's as good as I think it is. And it takes a minute to get into it, but there is some delivery. It's, I think it's the Wild West stunt show, something 80s, late or early 80s. Mm. And it's the one, there's two versions of that stunt show. And there's one with five characters. It's the one with three. And Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll link to it in the yeah, Patreon or something. I, I hope it's as good. That, but <laughs> I think you'll like it because he, he just, it has that classic vaudevillian humor. But when vaudevillian humor is done the way it's supposed to be done, like Marx Brothers style. Yeah. There's nothing better. Nothing better. Yeah. And and uh, I think I remember, I, I told you one of my, the joke I heard at a stunt show in Disney World when I was a kid, it was like, you remind me of a movie star, Dirty Harry, because you're dirty and hairy. <laughs> <laughs> There's just one delivery where he goes, oh, what does he say? Something about like, they're going to do a demonstration and like the other guy's going to punch him. And he just turns to the other guy because they're both up on a building and he turns and he goes, but I don't want to. Ah! And he just has this like child. Uh, I, I'm yes. not doing it justice. No, it's probably not going to land as it's much what as it kids to me. It's like why kids love, um, uh, uh, Costello yeah. or, uh, or, um, 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 Ernest. What when a grown up acts like you, yeah, it's the funniest fucking thing. In but the world. with effortless precision, yes. his physical timing. I'm overselling this so hard. Just I'll post it on I the Patreon, it. and you can you also, guys can view it for yourself. It's like eight or ten minutes. You've gotten to do children's theater before, right? I guess kind kind maybe comedy improv or something. Yeah, I got to do one at the UCB once. They did a a show that was like, um. Uh, the three bears for kids, but we were doing it and yeah. it was a Saturday morning and I got to do the thing that I wanted to do ever since I was a kid is, is the thing where you fuck with um, the audience where you're like, where did I put that? Oh, thing? Yeah. And the kids are like, behind you. They do that in the stunt shows. Oh, they would- it is the, I would rather do that than the music man or Hamlet <laughs> again. It's just getting to do that joke where you're like, huh? Oh, yeah. And you go the opposite way you're supposed to and kids <laughs> just like, flip no! out. No! <laughs> Are you fucking stupid? <laughs> I'm a kid and I can yes, see it. Yes, that's the also part of it. It's like, I'm a kid and I have seen this, you fool. They're smart enough to figure it out, but not smart yes. enough to fully understand Aww. irony. And it's, it's, this, so... this, it's the best place you can be in life. Yeah. I Really, the funnest I had performing was yeah. for kids. It's really great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, so that guy got to live the dream on many <laughs> levels. Um uh, <laughs> Ooh, ooh, so there was that, um, yeah, Funny Cops. 
Um, then he has his visions, yeah. running naked. Yeah, and that's interesting too because this movie starts to get a little. I know it's a dream, but it does start to feel like a little slightly experimental too. Yeah, I also think this movie just wouldn't if it was made today. The movie is pretty like, um, not very story heavy. It is kind of like yeah, the same things kind of keep re. Do this and then yeah, there's the dream, very and then he does this, and then this guy goes and does a little investigating, and yeah, virtually and, no plot. You could write the plot in a paragraph, and I like it like that. Yeah. It would annoy the shit out of me if it was like you have to go get this thing to stop this yeah. thing, and and you have a a clever horror set piece in the middle that you found a way to cram. Like I like the structure of this. Is almost it reminds me a lot of Carrie, mm. that kind of like time period of like it's about more like. Maybe the exorcist sort of kicked this off a little bit, which is like, it's about like priming the pump through the whole movie. You're just like adding tension and tension and tension until like at the very end, you just kind of like pull it out. Last 10 minutes are bonkers crazy. Yeah. And then it ends. Yeah. And it's not kind of about like, he becomes the wolf at the beginning and he's having periods of becoming the wolf and they're trying to catch him and he's trying to evade them. It's like, just really kind of like, Am I this thing? I'm becoming this thing. I'm becoming this thing. Oh, I am the second. Then it's over. Yeah. Um. But it's cool. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Um. The uh uh. But with that, um, the. So reason I was bringing it up because. Oh, just yeah, the way this is structured. Sometimes I have a hard time like knowing when things like there is a part where he's running the through the forest. And then he sees a bed with him in it and the nurse is there. And mm-hmm. then she looks down and he's like got a thriller yeah. makeup. Yeah. Uh, like the end of thriller. And so people know Michael Jackson saw American Werewolf in London and was like, I want to be a werewolf too. And called up John Landis and said, can I, can we make a music video where I get to live my dream? Yeah. So without American Werewolf in London, we wouldn't have Tootie from Goodfellas. <laughs> kind of. That's how it works. Kind of. <laughs> Should we do Thriller one time for an episode of this podcast? Yeah, yeah. and then also do the making of because that's all. Oh good stuff. yeah, yeah, that's um, good. Seen like eighties, um, uh, 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 what's the 80s musical? Chorus Line. It's always like a oh. chorus line, but zombies. Oh, I don't know that. You I see people in like eighties clothes, oh, yeah. dance well, clothes, and stuff. Let's trading. do that. Actually, we could do an episode on those two things. That would be really fun. Yeah, yeah. Um. So then Jack, then there's the, the, the scary dream, but then he comes back and then sees, this is when Jack first pops back up. Um, I love, I think that's my favorite form of Jack's makeup. Yeah, the first one. Yeah. That neck is incredible, incredible, huh? Ah, got it. All of this. It has actual depth. It's weird. It goes down inside and it looks like it, they didn't have to build up his neck to get the depth to it. Or I think just everything's so lacerated and puffy that you don't realize how much room they're buying by doing that. And there's like, at times it looks like you've got like an inch of depth. It's amazing. And then there's that one little hanging piece of thin something that's just moving on its own. So it doesn't feel like stiff latex. It's just, Oh, and then the, just the rivers of, yeah, it's so, I remember being blown away by that as a kid. Yeah. Both equal parts, 
unnerved and fascinated by the technical aspects of it. Oh, yeah. And that was a part of that I didn't mention that was entirely why I liked werewolf movies when I was a kid was special effects. Yeah. If you love special effects, that's the most special effects you're going to get with a monster is the transformation. It just like really captures your imagination. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah, all those effects. I asked you before that. I was like, I'm really excited to ask you in the pod. Have you ever dipped a piece of toast into sunny side up eggs? Yeah. Like Jack has. I don't think I did it because of him, but I remember you asked me that earlier today. Is that something that seems odd to you? Because I feel like that's what everybody no, does. No, he does it in The Shining. Jack Nicholson does it. I just have never done it before. Really? I think that's a pretty... Oh, thing. no, no. Oh. It wasn't a question of like, that seems weird. Have you ever done that? It's more like, a, this seems like a popular thing. That, I've never oh. done it. I feel weird that I've never done it. Have you done it? I see. So you're asking... I, I feel weird that I've never dipped toasted to oh, study side of things. It's okay. And you still never have? Mm-mm. And are you now it's become your identity, so you won't do it? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm going to go back to my class reunion. And everybody's like, You've never eaten sunny side up eggs with toast. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, guys. Welcome to Podfest 2025. <laughs> With Gorley and Russ, Matt Gorley, you know him from Super Ego and a producer of the Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend podcast, and Paul Russ, the guy that's never dipped toast into eggs. <laughs> I have to imagine it's pretty tasty, though, huh? That's your first thing on your obituary. <laughs> it's the best. It's it's gorgeous. I think it's because I don't know how to make sunny side eggs. Sunny but side haven't you eggs. ever had them in a restaurant or someone's made them mm-hmm. for you? Bre- I like scrambled and omelets. <laughs> Are you even from Iowa? <laughs> oh, my friend James Blade and Jimmy Blades, who's been yeah. a podcast pal for many, many times. Sure. He told me to tell you that he's from... Rock Rapids. Oh, wait, where? Which town are you from? Lamar's. Yes. So, isn't that near? Mm-hmm. And yeah. So, holy moly! Yeah. He was like born and raised, or just born and lived? Born and raised for a period of time. Oh my gosh. His dad was a dentist there. Ooh, Doctor Bladen. Um, it seems like Rock Rapids would be a good place to be a dentist because everybody's eating rocks all the time so rapidly. <laughs> That's where Oliver Stone's from. Uh, there's a place called Cedar Rabbit Rapids, and the joke in Iowa is, are you going to go to Cedar Rapids to see the rabbits? Wow. <laughs> or are you going to go to Rock Rabbits to play music and rock some rabbits? Oliver know. Stone Rabbits. Oliver Stone and some of her moss. <laughs> and this is where he... Um, and I'd, I'd say this is probably a big horror comedy moment here because he's horror. He looks scary, but he's saying funny things. Yeah. And then there is like a cool little shift where he just gets scary, scary. And he's like, the bloodline must be severed. You're going to be a werewolf. Um, the power of darkness. It's all true. But then it goes into something funny. He's like, have you ever talked to a corpse? It's boring. <laughs> I'm like really impressed how Griffin Dunn can be all these things. Yeah. different notes in a, one scene he is kind of brutal with David Naughton like he's just gets to the point of like you need to kill yourself yeah not even like I know this is sound crazy and right. you're probably having trouble processing this although I have noticed how you didn't seem to be that affected by my death so maybe yeah, yeah. maybe what if this has nothing to do with killing yourself it was just <laughs> he's miffed that his buddy didn't shed a tear <laughs> um, the um, and then 
he tells her to beware the moon and he, now he leaves with the nurse and they kind of have a nice moment where they go to the supermarket. Mm. She talks about inflation um, and then they go on the train. Oh, this was the moment where I was like, you're not as charming as you think you are. It was when he was making faces yeah. with the punkers. Yeah, that felt more like realistic 80s American asshole, not something you want in your main character. Yeah, also, punkers are cool, man. Yeah. They're they're outsiders like you, man. Yeah, he doesn't know he's an outsider. Yeah, he thinks he's a mainstream cat. <laughs> um, now, there's some cool stuff when they go back. One thing I do really like about uh, Landis's style is that I do think it's pretty, like, it's classic, and it's sort of exquisite, and it's classicness, and it'll just be, like, Things are set up and it's clear and there's nothing, it's unadorned and there, there's not a lot of like camera moves and stuff. And it almost feels like a set up like a, how Marx Brothers comedies are mm -hmm. or something. It's just like you make the picture as clear as possible so you can see everything. So it's as funny as possible. But there are cool things like um, in the subway train sequence, the way the camera's moving around the tunnel. Oh, that reminded me of like proto Aliens 3 POV creature cam. Yeah. There's yeah. a little more Aliens 3, Alien 3 in this movie than we knew. I know. Um, and then, when, and they're also just that it's a dog alien, right? Like a four-legged werewolf. Yeah. Kind of thing. Wow. And uh, then, but when they go into her apartment, the way the camera kind of snakes around inside her apartment, I think has like a cool yeah, style to it. Yeah. But in general, I'm saying like I like his um, uh, Oscar gets a lot of crap. John Landis's Oscar <laughs> movie. Yeah. But that's filmed like a 1940s, 30s screwball movie. And it's really it's a play, right? It's based on a play. Yeah. 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 Um, I forget what the play. Have you seen the play? No. But isn't it just called Oscar? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a, a farce. Yeah, it certainly is. Because I've seen the movie. <laughs> oh, you have seen it? Yeah, when it first came out. Yeah. Yeah. Stallone's a little. Stallone, that could be good, but St Stallone's. He just doesn't have the chops to. It's like that guy in the stunt show I was talking about. Like he is a he's an expert at that. Stallone just isn't. Yeah, and Stallone comedian. can be really funny. I, I'm not saying like he's completely not comedic, but his thing isn't like, you know, it's a farce. So it's all like about the dexterity of yeah. your lips and your ability to talk fast. And physical comedy. And yeah, I've never. Maybe you can think of an example. I've never seen Stallone successful with humor unless it's a dramatic film or a dramatic role like Rocky and there's or like even a, Rambo he has some there's funny, comic moments and yeah, drama because he's playing it real but anytime I've seen him do what he thinks comedy is supposed to be it's too you know when I on. notice he's funny is when he's himself in like talk show appearances uh, and I go like oh he's not like this muscle he's got a like a, a kind of like a wit yeah and almost like a self-effacing kind yeah. of like he knows he's like a he could be a, a punchline. Yeah. Um, be, yeah, he suffers a little bit from what Schwarzenegger suffers from, too, of comedies, which is they just think comedy means big. Yeah. 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 I do, too. So. Well, but that's a different story. You got you got to Do you go think on. they think comedy has to be big because their muscles are big? It has to be. <laughs> just they like, put hey. steroids into their comedy. <laughs> um, oh, it's not burnt. It's a walking meatloaf. I'm a walking meatloaf. Oh, yeah. I was like, um, I like that during a when Disney 
as a power is kind of at its low point in the early 80s. It also means in a litigation front it is. So you could have Mickey Mouse dolls like everywhere in this movie. Oh, and, like in I the middle of like the transformation scene, they just go to that crazy cutaway of a... Yeah. I, I mean, it literally feels like a, they have to cut away to something. Because, yeah, they need a yeah. transfer moment with yeah. the wolf but it's so effective because it just you just see mickey mouse looking at the werewolf and it feels like the muppet show connection yeah. that thing of like the innocent with mixed with the brutality yeah. and some and um, did you know the thing about that muppet episode was that that was never shown in america for some reason it was shown in england that episode and so a bunch of people thought that that muppet scene was shot for this movie because they'd never seen it before wow i didn't know that and, well, and it's interesting because the porno scene is obviously shot for the movie. It's not like a real porno. So I would maybe think, and Frank Oz is in this. Yeah. And they were shooting in England. So yeah. I might have guessed that they made it. Why wasn't it ever? I don't know. See, um, I'll give you some information, but I can't tell you anything about it. <laughs> maybe in that episode, they were like, um, we think Jimmy Carter's a straight up boob. <laughs> like, no, we can't air this. There'd be rioting. <laughs> Um. Oh, what was this thing where she's talking? David's telling her that he's a telling her about a wolf man, and um, she's like, "Oh, the Oliver Reed one." Yeah, I'm. What's I this? wondered about that myself. There must be a Oliver Reed werewolf movie, which we are gonna have to track yes. down. Uh, it also seemed maybe like a joke about her culture. Like, oh, Oliver Reed is the the blimiest. Actor of the mole. <laughs> that's terrible. Blimey. That's bad, right? The blimeyest. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> oh. He's the blimeyest cheerio. Tut tut and all that actor that you've ever seen. He's blimey. He blimey, blimey, you're blimeyest. Um, <laughs> um, the Oliver Reed Wolf movie made me think of the Albert Finney wolf movie isn't there wolfen have you ever oh, seen yeah. wolfen there was wolfen howling that spate of early 80s yeah, they were everywhere 1981 specifically early right? 80s and there's a couple more too i was born in 1981 maybe that's why i'm such a wolf head it must be was i born under a full moon you were, what's is there a dog sign mm. you telling me there's a a goat sign but there's not a dog sign yeah come on I see way more do dogs than goats. I was born on Palm Sunday. And David Naughton's palms stretch in this movie. And it's on a Sunday. Jesus Christ. Or I think afterwards he had a Sunday. <laughs> Go back and rewatch American Werewolf. There's a lot of scenes where David Naughton is eating a big hot fudge Sunday. They're there. You have to look for him. <laughs> it's like the kid in Three Wood a Baby. See you next Sunday. <laughs> do you. Okay, so I'm at the part where um, um, I'm on pins and needles. So, so <laughs> where the doctor goes to this, I thought I maybe oh, yeah. sk skipped over the transformation, but I think they wisely put this kind of boring, not important scene of the doctor going to the bar right before the transformation scene because yeah. it's like. Don't worry, we got something cool after this. Yeah, but it's kind of like—I mean, I like it because it's all 
early 80s looking and stuff, but it's a little... I guess I like it because, yeah, it's early 80s, but also it, it has a kind of Van Helsing feel of like, you have the doctor, yes. the, the, the love girl, <laughs> the love girl, and the, you know, tragic hero. It does, ha- like as much as this movie separates itself from classic monster movies, it has just enough of its core characteristics to draw me in for yeah. that reason. You know what? And I do like that it's a doctor who's, if they're going to have like a detective person going around, I like that it's a doctor because he keeps trying to find a psychological explanation for it, which is like a good component of all this. He's like, he thinks he's a wolf because he heard the suggestion so much from them that of course it would make him think he is now. And it's nice to have someone sort of not believing him necessarily, but at least interested. And I guess this guy was a replacement that he wasn't the first cast. Wait, he was like played with Paul Westerberg and stuff? (laughs) Yes, right. Yeah. Was John Landis just a fan of the replacements? He, I like I said, I I got this information, but I can't tell you what's behind it. So I just know that this guy was one of the replacements that band. That is so cool. What a talented guy. Crazy. Yeah, he seems like a little older than they would have been. (laughs) But I read it. Do you think then the person who originally was playing that doctor then joined the replacements? Probably. Yeah. That's what happened. They yeah. swapped. Oh, okay. He swapped. came out of the replacements, and then that guy who I think was a Lawrence Olivier joined the replacements. <laughs> That's true. My favorite replacements albums are the ones that Lawrence Olivier played bass on. Yeah, he was good. I mean, he played a different instrument every album, but the one where he plays bass is <laughs> yes. really good. Yeah. And he couldn't even play guitar. Play and so that album's shit. It's literally yeah, it unlistenable. Drum, drumming is terrible. Yeah. You could hear him on one of the tracks go, is this a symbol? <laughs> Dude, you don't belong behind the drums if you're asking questions like that. But my dear boy, I'm the blimiest symbol player there's ever been. Why don't you try playing the bass? Why don't you try picking? Did you ever hear that story with um, Marathon Man that... Dustin Hoffman now does admit this is true where he's like you know that story where I said oh I spent up the last couple of nights yeah. to get into character and Lawrence Olivia said try acting he was like I was just kind of trying to cover up that I had been like out the last couple of nights at Studio 54 oh, how funny! and I had to like roll up with an excuse ah, I did it for the, acting the greatest story of acting class lore history <laughs> was born out of Studio 54 yeah amazing <laughs> Well, probably all actor stories are born out of them like trying to cover up their substance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the great tales of the theater. <laughs> oh, and a man has a drinking problem. Ever since Thespis first stepped forth from the Greek chorus in his Cothurni and said unto them, I shall have a dialogue, he was pissed in the face. Pissed, I tell you. All hopped up on hemlock, that one. Welcome back to Trod the Boards with me, the blimiest of act. Okay. We're going to rival our four-hour sleepaway camp, and I don't think we can, I don't think we can tell the masses we're going to split up another episode, so I got to find a way to compress this. Christmas time is here again. Um, 
I like the dramatic thunderclaps when the doctor visited the bar. Oh, I didn't notice. And this. I was thinking, um, it'd be funny. I guess this would be in a comedy where the thunderclaps don't time out well for the revelations. <laughs> like, what would you like? Get us. <laughs> I'm here to to look into a murder. <laughs> Excuse me, is the bathroom over there? <laughs> when I was in the bathroom, I saw a clue that this is a den of werewolves. Why Why is there an early 80s electronic phone here? Oh, I thought those were crickets. Why don't you just try doing Foley, my <laughs> Um, That dude who's like, you made me miss my dart. I never missed the dart. And then yeah. he's later the ones trying to help him out. Yeah. I did think I like, in some movies you might just see the revelation that surprises the guy and you just see the dart get missed. Yeah. Seeing him then talk is a little bit like the guy who's like, you made my record player skip. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was standing next to my record player. When I heard what you said, I lifted up the arm off it. <laughs> But I also like the guy who goes out later and is trying to be like, hey, oh yeah, I appreciate you coming. It's such a movie thing. Yeah. I'm just like the person like, you came here for this information. The scene would have been boring if you were able to just to get it. So you didn't get it, but you still had to get that information. So I'm going to come out. And, tell you. and then the other guy who goes, I was like, no, don't give that information. <laughs> <laughs> it's just all movie stuff. It's so funny. <laughs> um, now... Is it the transformation? Yeah, I think so. Um, Should we take a peek? Uh, yeah. Uh, and then where, wrap it up? Where's the can? Then we'll wrap it up. We're going to read some Patreon names to this episode. Great. So Fun. We'll be right back. Okay. With and Rust. With and Rust. You start us back while I finish this graham cracker <laughs> mercifully off mic. So <laughs> enjoy that graham cracker. Don't feel like you have to rush it. Thanks. Um, well, we could. Uh, I maybe now we'll talk about the the big transformation scene, which I guess when people think about American Werewolf in London, that's probably what they would think about uh, typically, because it is. I think. It's famous because it's the first time a werewolf movie was really like, let's do it, let's show it. And then the fact that they're doing it not in a forest at night where you can have shadows covered. It's a full, well-lit well lit room. There's nothing you can hide. The makeup is like going to get exposed no matter what. And then also that it's painful, I think, is like notable too. Just like how... Immediately painful. Yeah. That threw me this time. It wouldn't want to make me become a wolf man. Like, if I had to go through that. Really? If I knew, it would be a little bit like... You're the guy that's never put toast in eggs. Yeah. So you can understand why I'm the kind of guy who doesn't want to experience new things, like turning into a werewolf. Um, another cool moment about that is, did you notice, like, he looks in the camera? No. Like, there's a part where he's like... And he just like looks straight in, and that's like its own um, Oliver Stone moment. 
Uh, well, uh, John Landis, uh, there's always like a, a lot of times a moment where like in coming to America, it's really funny. Do you remember oh, yeah. when she's like, you're going to have to get out of these clothes. <laughs> he looks over like what? And then in trading places, there's a really funny part where he goes, now this is a BLT. It's bacon, lettuce, and tomato. And then Eddie Murphy looks at the camera like, well, how stupid do you think I am? I don't know what a BLT stands for. The best ever look at the camera breaking the fourth wall is smoking the bandit. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Does he give a smile and it's like before he drives away? Basically. So it's the first time when they've headed out westbound and down to do their pickup. Or maybe they've just picked it up and they're coming back. I can't remember. But they, he eludes the cops. And the camera setup is he's in his bandit Camaro or Trans Am's. And he's looking over his shoulder. So the camera's like three quarters from the front. He's looking back over his shoulder, sees that the cops go away, turns around and looks forward out of the car, but his head's out the window and he pulls forward. And as he's passing the plane of the camera, he stops and his head just turns to camera and he <laughs> looks right down the barrel of the camera and gives that amazing Burt Reynolds oh smile gosh. and then just drives on. But the whole time you're like, oh, he knows the audience is there, but you're just, it's a movie. You're like, you're not even considering the fact that this is a broken fourth wall. And all along he was just sneaking up on you. It's great. I, he I'm could sure. have done that at any point during those Smokey the Bandit movies. He had that power. Yeah. Uh, now, then he goes out. Um, he goes out. He goes out. He hits the town. <laughs> Um, and this is when he attacks the, the sort of stuffy upper crust couple. And this is where it feels most like kind of like the zeitgeist or kind of like a John Landis movie of like that National Lampoon kind of quality of like, hey, the slobs and the maniacs are the ones who are the true dreamers of the world. Yeah. Let's, let's see what happens when... It, these stuff shirts have to do so just like see like let's go over for dinner and then see this like werewolf attack him uh and then it kind of ends weird like the guy just walks out that he sees a severed arm on the ground is like Bow. yeah it doesn't really have a cap to it no, or a uh. A point where it kind of like you go, this is the end, and it reached a point that it got so crazy it couldn't have gone any further. A guy just kind of walks out and sees an arm. The old end on the arm gag. Sorry, I'm done with my grandma. Oh, good. Well, no, uh, you have some more. I'm out. Uh, I, wish. <laughs> I would. Because um, then it happens again, sort of. Then there's those hobos by the bridge, and they kind of hear a sound, and they're like, huh? Like, yeah. there's. Apparently, that murder sequence was trimmed down because it was too gory to get the rating they needed. I think there was also some nudity in the shower scene more so. With with more blood with the couple or with the hobos? The hobos, because I remember that being scarier, but I don't know that which version I ever saw. I don't even know if the other version's out there. When it gets set up so like huge like yeah. hobos and there's a giant lit up bridge behind them and stuff it just feels like it's getting set up for like a big and it's interesting that when they do get to the porno theater and the the undead are there 
Bib Fortuna and the hobos are all pissed at him, but the couple's just like, hi. <laughs> yeah. That's, maybe because they have each other. Be, <laughs> be, walking the, the earth undead is okay if you got a, a, yeah, a companion. That's probably true. Um, so then they go to the hobo to a really amazing sequence, the Bib Fortuna yeah. scene. And really quickly, I just want to say in that sure. transformation, yes. that just the fact that it's set again to like the cheery blue moon. Yeah. It's so good. Man, it just to be taking on big challenges like that in a scene that's already crazy and then adding a tonal thing of like putting Blue Moon and not giving yourself the luxury of scary music underneath yeah. it. Yeah. All right, babe. This is the moment we've... Okay, this babe. This is a reason... Okay, babe. Listen up, babe. <laughs> hey, babe. Babe Fortuna, babe. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, I think we've been teasing this for weeks. <laughs> The actor in the subway is the actor that plays Bib Fortuna in Return Woo! of the Jedi. <laughs> Where my bib head's at. Will Smith is doing somersaults. <laughs> we didn't know you were a bib head. And I uh, just want to, just so people know, when we were texting last week about it, and you texted Bib Fortuna and got changed to Bob Fortuna. <laughs> and you were like, Bob Fortuna, insurance. <laughs> And I'm also realizing it might not be enough of a setup to just say he was Bib Fortuna. Some people may also need to know, <laughs> even though we referenced him earlier, Bib Fortuna is Jabba the Hutt's like major domo sidekick kind of like head advisor. Yeah. Kiss ass. Yeah. Turn offs, sand. Turn ons. Rubbing your fingernails across R2-D2's <laughs> face. Like uh, Carol Merrill or Vanna White. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, Dai Wanga Wanga. Dai Wanga Wanga. Dai Wanga Wanga. Dai Wanga Wanga. And they want it now. <laughs> Honky Tonk Droid. Uh, he does. Do you think he's friends with... um? Uh, oh, what Wato. Hoot means... I just like you might have won the race this time, Outlander, but you'll never win the race. Wait till you get a load of my friend Bob Fortuna. <laughs> but here's what I wrote about Bib. He's so young. He's a young man. And a versatile actor. Very good. He can do horror and comedy. I get the feeling that he's overdubbed in Return of the Jedi, having seen him now in this, that that's not his voice. I wondered that too, and it didn't also make me think, I wish he had more to do with Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's too bad. Yeah. Where's, where's like when they were going to do all those spinoff movies every other year, the Bib Fortuna movie? Jeez Louise. Oh my if God. There was a Bib Fortuna movie with one of those um, piggy guards. The Gamor Gamorrean, Gamorrean guards. guards. Yeah. And it's like a lethal weapon <laughs> buddy cop movie between those two. He's the uptight Roger Murtaugh. Yeah, I'll let you decide who's the slob and who's the <laughs> uptight guy. But <laughs> but it's also very similar where the Gamorrean guard lost his wife and he's suicidal. And Roger Murtaugh's putting a little um, ADU above his garage. And his daughter's in a condom commercial. His Twi'lek daughter is... Oh, and I love that fight sequence when they're uh, doing, they're reconstru doing reconstruction of the house. That's what I mean, yeah. yeah. We are probably going to do an uh, ad on to our garage and make it an ADU. And, and part of my excitement about that is just the thought that that's what's going on at Murtaugh's house. You get to live the Lethal Weapon 2 dream. I can just go in there and go, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> Every line of Murtaugh's dialogue is ADR. 
It's crazy. He must have just on the day been like so low. Oh, and um, in Lethal Weapon. Wow. Um, that guy, uh, Walter Murch, who's like a oh, yeah. sound the editor. editing genius. Yeah. Um, he said he he did the sound for Apocalypse Now, mm. and uh, um, Marlon Brando came in to do ADR. Oh no! And he said that it was just there was a point where Coppola stepped out. It was just the two of them in a room. And he said, Marlon Brando went, just out of nowhere, he was like, people say I mumble a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and Walter Birch was like, I knew he's like a, a, you know, a hard guy to pin down. So all I was going to do was repeat what he said. And I was like, that's very smart, Walter Birch. Walter Birch just went, people do say that you mumble a lot. Because he knows he's not going to go, no, 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 Mr. Brando, that's not true. Because uh-huh. then now he has a, a com- combatant. Right. All you can do is just agree with Marlon Brando. You go, yeah, people oh do say God. that. And then Marlon Brando went, well, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, and then he goes, and I do it because when I started acting, I'll stop trying to do it. Basically, he's like, the reason I do it is because I started noticing I have no control over what takes directors use. What an asshole. So if I mumble, they have to bring me into ADR, and I love to do ADR because then I get to do the line how I've always wanted to do it. What an asshole. (laughs) That's like that thing with Frank Oz. Have we talked about that on here? That he was in his movie, The Score, with Frank Oz as the director? Yeah. Probably I have told this. No, Uh, I don't think we've talked about it on the cast, just that he's an asshole. Frank Oz such a hard time, he only addressed him as Mr. Piggy, or Mrs. Piggy. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where De Niro had to be a go-between between them. And the last shot of the movie is supposed to be Brando's character seeing that De Niro has succeeded at this crime on the TV and smiling like he's proud of him and Brando wouldn't do it for him. So they had to do a digital smile on (gasps) Marlon Brando. (laughs) He's such an asshole. I don't care how good an actor is. That's funny because the end of Little Shop of Horrors is the plant smiling. He gets a little smile curled up. I wonder if they use the same technology for Marlon Brando's face. And what if that was Frank Oz puppeting? The only thing I ever heard was Marlon Brando saying stuff like, I bet you'd love to stick your hand up my ass and operate me like a puppet, right? (laughs) (laughs) To break Oz. Yeah. All right. So, Bib Fortuna, it's sorry to sad to see him go like this. Yeah. It's a good death. Like, if I get to be in this movie, I'd like to be that part. That'd be fun. Also, I love all the posters around there. I saw an airplane poster. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which is a shared Elmer Bernstein did the music for them yeah. and Kentucky Fried Movie is a oh, Zucker Brothers. That came up the other day. John I've, got, I've got that in a queue ready to watch again. I had only seen parts and I watched it for the first time in Quar. Mm. And there are two holy moly laugh out loud moments. I was losing. I, I was by myself are. watching and laughing. What are they? Oh, I don't. Uh, well, you can say them as such that I'll. You don't have to. There's spoil. a gag. They're both in the. Um, it's not Big Jim Slade. No, the, the that's not. They're the the. It's the in the Enter the Dragon spoof. Oh yeah, and it's a part where he has to sneak in and be quiet, and he makes a loud sound, and the guard doesn't notice. Oh, and then yeah. louder, louder sounds happen, and the guard doesn't notice all of them. I was like, God, that is so funny. It's yeah. like a naked gun trick, uh, and then. Um, there's a part where 
they're trying to figure out <laughs> it's like some joke where it's like they go up to a, a cell and they're like these are the men who have given up and have no hope for life and will die in here no 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 we're the ones who have no hope for life but we don't think we'll die in here <laughs> over here is the guys who have no hope and think they'll die in here oh we misunderstood like it's better than what I'm doing obviously but it's also because it's based on an actual cliche that must be in those movies like these are the men yeah. who do da, 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 da. we're not those men <laughs> but that was, oh my god I lost it I haven't seen that movie since high school that's why I'm dying to watch it again yeah uh, it's good it's not as good as John Landis's best movies or Zucker Brothers' best movies, but yeah, yeah, and it's. I remember being up and down. Like, there's some that some oh. of the sketches. Are well, my friend Rick and I rented it. We put it on. Within the first ten minutes, there was nudity. We went. We can't watch this, and we shut it off and wow, returned the movie. Journey escaped it. What you did? What I did? Yes. For journey escape. Yes, I had my journey escape moment. Wow, for nudity, and I felt so bad. This was like fifth, sixth grade. Wow, and I was like, do I tell my mom that we rented it? But you didn't watch it, Paul. You stopped it as soon as you knew it was bad, so you don't have to t- confess. Uh, like it was a crime. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's incredible. <laughs> well, well done, Bib. Well done, Bib. Um, oh, I also thought I saw um, a Dress to Kill poster in there, but I couldn't quite tell. So if people hmm. have confirmation on that, I'd appreciate it. Hmm. Um now, boy, I'll let you take us through the rest of this movie because th- at this point, I will admit, I just got into the movie and didn't really yeah, get any other. I, I don't have much more either. There's, um, I had a question the next day. I thought he was going to kill everybody here. There's two days with full moons. I guess there can be because I mean, theoretically, it's a phase. So, I think if yeah. you're making a Wolfman movie, that'd be the challenge. Is like, how do you get around the full moon? The plot needs propulsion, but yeah. you need time between the things. Um, I once had an idea for a, a werewolf movie where it was about you're dating somebody, and like every month they're like, "I'm going to go to town." Oh, that's funny. And it's about like the confusion you have about like is somebody up to something? Uh-huh. And you think like, "Oh, they're you having an affair. Yeah. Or they're cheating on me." So you go and you follow them. That's a great idea. And then you sneak and you look in through like their Joshua Tree house that they rent. So that they can just get out of town and become a wolf and chase coyotes and the de- rabbits in the desert and not hurt anybody. And then you look, you're like, oh my God, that's why they're going away for the weekend. They're a goddamn werewolf. Yeah. Ah, that's good. Especially it's the, the love thing. That's something about the end of this movie, not to jump ahead. But when she says, I love you, and yeah. his eyes soften, but he can't fight his nature. I love that. It's so You're talking to the very, yeah. very end. Yeah. I know. I thought that too. And I thought... When he attacked her at the end, when he goes for her after he says, I love you, is that a wolf going, I know, but I'm a wolf, so I got to attack you? Or it's like him as a wolf man trying to be like, I love you too. I never thought of it that way. For some reason, I'm just always like. No, it's more, I think, probably like, I hey, I can't help you. I'm a wolf now. I got to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The... uh, I do love that scene though, and that's my favorite. I think makeup effect is the close up on the wolf's mm. eyes at the end when he has yeah. like a look of torment. Um, the um, would you think of that full frontal male nudity, Gorley? It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Which one in the zoo? Yeah, 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 um, yeah. He's right. He's not circumcised. 
Um, or he is circumcised. No, wait, actually, don't think that was hard to tell. It was hard to tell. I'm going to go home and zoom in on that scene. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, sure. I didn't already, but I am going to do that. <laughs> um, and then a very funny part where the little boy goes, a naked American man stole my balloons. Yeah. Um, now, when he comes home and he's like, She's like, where were you? He's like, yeah, I said goodbye to you when you left. And then I hung out and then that's the last thing I remember. Now I'm back. I was like, how many girls have had boyfriends like this? I know. They leave for work. Yeah. Their boyfriends are like all nice. <laughs> Bye, honey. Then they come home. The guy's not there. They come home in the morning like, sorry. And wearing a woman's coat. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, then we get into the end, Corley. Yeah. Um. Little cameo from Vic Armstrong, the stuntman driving the double decker bus, James Bond and Harrison Ford double. I didn't know that was Vic Armstrong. Yep. Did you know I watched Temple of Doom in the last week? God bless you. I started watching Last Crusade last night to do a sound bar check to get it working. And <laughs> is that it, the best test for sound? Is the, I, the rhinoceros go uh oh thing going through the I don't ceiling? know. I think it's the first one I ever put on when I first got a, a like TV speakers back in the late 80s, early 90s. And so I always just put it on. It's probably not even by far the best sound anymore. (laughs) Uh, The, uh, um, when I watched Temple of Doom, I told you how I do kind of fun sync album movie syncs. Yeah. If people want to do this. Oh, I love it. You can do Weezer's first four albums with Temple of Doom. It times syncs perfectly. What are you talking about? Here's what you do. You Pause Temple of Doom right on the zero 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 very beginning when it's still black. As soon as it comes on, you press play. Have it all zeros. Turn down the volume of the movie. You crank up Weezer's first album, the Blue Album. So what's the first song in there? The sweater song. My name is Jonas. My name is Jonas. That's right. Yep. Press play at the same time. Movie and the song. And what you're gonna do subsequently th- from each one, as soon. As an album stops, goes to zero, or the last track is done, you hit pause on the movie. Then you get the second album, you get the third Weezer album, you get the fourth Weezer album. And you just continue that, pausing the movie and starting it back up and playing. Gorley, the syncing that goes on is amazing. So you're telling me that... Songs end when a sequence ends, and a new sequence begins right when a new song ends, or... A camera pull comes in right in a moment when like the music is flourishing. But Kate Capshaw is singing Anything Goes in Mandarin Chinese, but instead you're hearing My Name is Jonas. Yeah. And so like, the foreman has injured his hand. That's all happening when the women are like kicking up their legs and bringing up the like. Oh my God. It's good. Wow. And then the like, uh, anytime you want to throw any of these out, it sounds like you got a few under you. I do. We'll do them later. I tried to tweet it. I was like, if you guys want to do Weezer's first album in Temple of Doom, and it sounded like a lunatic. And I thought, you know what? If I think of it on the podcast, I'll bring it up. It's better explained than tweeted. Yes. Wow. I'm trying to. So, like, say it ain't so. What point of the film are you at with that? That's good. That's um, during the. When the village, when they're laying out the like, people came along, they took our Whoa. children. And so it's like, say it ain't so. 
And so is like Pinkerton all the travel through the jungle and arrival at the palace? So Pinkerton comes in, first track comes on right when the dinner starts, when they show up oh at the dinner. God. And so tired of sex is happening when they're all eating the gross food. And then El Scorcho perfectly times out from the moment the guy steps out in the Temple of Doom, pulls out the heart, and as he's walking off, El Scorcho Oh, ends. my God. That is amazing. It's really fun. Wow. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> wow. And the holiday song from the Blue Album is when they go on that trek on the elephant. So it's like, okay. let's go away for a while, yeah. you and I. What about strange. Buddy Holly? Buddy Holly's great because it's during the um, run after the club Obi-Wan oh, yeah. short round and right when he gets the back of the guy with the rickshaw oh, yeah. and the guy goes kicks up uh-huh. that's right where the chorus comes in oh, so it goes God. the rickshaw goes up and goes ooh <laughs> so dorky gorly <laughs> but if anybody does it and has a good time let me know no this is so dorky gorly <laughs> that dorky <laughs> Just this is with with dorkly and rust. <laughs> you just almost fell out of your <laughs> oh my chair. God. I'm like loopy because we're like four hours I into know. this Gorley. Okay, we can wrap it up because we still got names. <laughs> Jesus read. Christ! Wow. I'm sorry, I used the Lord's name in vain, but come on, um, Christ. Uh, a couple more things. Okay. okay, when he realizes he's a werewolf and he goes over to the cop and he's like, "Arrest me." It's my favorite thing in a werewolf movie is when they realize they're bad and they're like, somebody do something, stop me. Yeah. Like in Wolf, he ties himself to a radiator so he doesn't leave the house at night and he still like breaks it. I just think that's rich in metaphor. Sorry, I can't wait to see what Benicio Del Toro does in The Wolfman. <laughs> he ties himself to Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> um, when David goes in the payphone, I saw a cool bit of graffiti that said The Jam. Mm. Somebody who's a fan of the band, yeah. The Jam, put that on there. Fan of the band, The Jam. Also, I noticed when David calls home and he's talking to his siblings, he's like, where's Max? Can I talk to Max? Oh, they're named after Landis's two kids, Max and... But they're not born yet. So he named his kids after the characters in America. This is why you can't trust internet lore. Because I thought I read that, but now I'm doubting it. But that it still could be true that they're the same names. It's just the order in that they happened. I thought there was something on IMDb about that. I don't know. Huh. Why am I trusting IMDb? Uh, I trust them. Literally lies. I mean, it's just people. <laughs> if it's if it's at all true, it's one of the most inane things. <laughs> Well, it's like someone like me going, the the, the Nazi demons are, has an Ingram Mac 11, an Uzi 9mm, and a Sterling Mark IV. <laughs> but whenever I read that online, I appreciate that stuff. Dorky Gorley. <laughs> no, I'm the dorky. I know, but I was saying that's so <laughs> dorky Gorley. Like, that's so in the wheelhouse of dorky Gorley. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh when he says to her, I'm not safe to be around, you got to stay away from me, That's I like that shit. Um, then he goes to the porn theater, it's playing See You Next Wednesday. Oh, I was just going to say, killing yourself in a payphone? Mad inconsiderate. Yeah. No kidding. What if someone has to use that? Well, that person's going to have to use the phone to call an ambulance. Yeah. So, like, eh. so maybe it is kind of considerate. For No, but if you are killing yourself, you want to be far away from a phone as possible when somebody discovers you. 
I guess, I mean, I'm thinking like he's already dead and he's just trying to save someone a walk. It's also a dumb place to, he's surrounded by people. But you won't see blood because it's all red in there. That's right. You've been listening to Point Counterpoint. (laughs) (laughs) The original episode of CNN's Crossfire with them debating, should he kill himself in a phone booth in American Werewolf? Paul, once again, you're wildly off base. (laughs) Um... Then they go in. I like um, uh, Bib Fortuna has a really funny line where he goes, with your carnivorous lunar activities. I know. And that was that awesome. That so good. Um, again, with the rules, when he goes, maybe should I, do I need a silver bullet to kill myself? And they're like, please. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. It's tough with these movies. Um, so this end is like uh, Animal House and uh, Blues yeah. Brothers before it, where it's like all about vehicular I know. mayhem. He's really got a thing for that. Um, <laughs> the, like, and it's like vicious. Like yeah. people are getting like run over I hardcore. I forgotten all about this stuff. I think I remembered the theater going right to the end shooting. I didn't remember any of this like street chaos. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, it's crazy because when it started, I looked at the time and I was like, it was 10 minutes left. And that's like including credits. Yeah. So it, it gets to it. And this is where my IMDB might get me, but like, Something like in order to do that sequence, they had to like shoot down, shut down Piccadilly Circus just for like 20 minutes at a time and just quickly get that stuff. You don't, you think they would then open it back up? I think it was like, um, yeah, it was like, we'll let you have 20 minutes here, shoot your thing. We're going to open it back up. Then we're going to shut it back down. Like, I think it only got a couple oh, wow. time periods. It wasn't like a, hey, we get the whole night to shoot at Piccadilly Circus. Yeah. And I, feel like it adds to the vibe that i like about it it's kind of this like chaotic yeah mayhem gorilla catches catch can yeah yeah and i love that part where the bobby is like pulling down the thing on the porno theater and is telling people to like oh, i know don't I go in there that. yeah and then it busts out through the thing is very very cool yeah it's a great ending and and I, then those Bobbies are even kind of like the SWAT team in Blues Brothers. They're like the hut, hut, hut. Oh, hut, yeah, hut, yeah. <laughs> like, but it's Bobbies. They like show up in their little van and stuff. They are crack shots, those guys. They are far away and they don't hit her. Yeah, they ain't no stormtroopers. Yeah. Also, I mean, that that wolf jumps at her front on, but somehow gets mm. shot all along the side. I think they banked it off the side of the alley. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think ricocheting is like more of a uh, a culture in Britain? It's an English thing. Yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah. In <laughs> fact, that guy who missed his dart, he was aiming for for the board, but he normally ricochets off the wall, and that's what screwed up. When I heard that it's such a big component of culture over there, that, that John Lithgow, Denzel Washington movie, Ricochet over there, is just called Life. <laughs> they titled it Life, otherwise people would understand it. The the most badass you can be in Ireland is to be named Rick O'Shea. <laughs> if you're just joining us. Well, I think that's it. Okay, so we're going to read some of the baby xenomorph Patreon name supporters just because that's part of the deal. If you, if you subscribe at that level, there's not a ton. 
Yeah. But they come and, you know, they, the, as the Patreon grows, we got to keep up with it. And then we'll come back and, and talk about our best kill and uh, Beautiful. ratings. Beautiful. This time, Paul, rather than us sharing <sighs> oh. my laptop and it getting confusing, I printed it out because oh, nice. I think I maybe, I don't know if it was on this podcast that I mentioned, I finally got a laser printer because I have hatred for inkjet printers because well, they always break down. And this thing is just great. Well, and I was just thinking about you yesterday about that thing you were saying about the printer conspiracy theory. What yeah. do you do when the theory becomes true? How do you... You're not crazy, but yeah. yeah. And I felt vindicated. Why was I thinking of that yesterday? Because I had a moment where I was like, if my theory becomes true, I have to question everything like Gorley had to with the, yeah. with the printers. It took a long time before I realized I was a stable <laughs> mental person. All right, so um, we'll yeah. just trade these off. Okay. Um, Adam Hartwick. Stephen Barman. Jess Gupta. Tucker Thomas. Sean. The Great and Terrible Lizak. Max Fosberg. Michael Honer. Jocelyn Dolahan. Jacqueline. Jacqueline Dolahan. Elisa Marhava. Kirk Laughlin. Michael Vogel. Kyle. Jared Carson. 3.14 Nerds Movies by Minute podcast. Whoa, got a little plug in it. Yeah. Wow. Kevin Murphy. Maybe that's not even your name, but a product. <laughs> Josh Philbrick. Gabe Meister. The Gabe Meister. The G- <laughs> Nathan Streeter. Cousin Paco. Bill and Gracie Jackson. Oh, that's nice when a couple does it together, mm. I'm assuming. Danielle Daniels. Happy Mother's Day, Nicole. Love, Daddy and Max. That's sweet. Oh, that's very sweet. Wow. Ian Wallace. Jebediah Foster. Willow. Warwick Davis. <laughs> Noah Davis. Chris Decatur. Yes, have some. <laughs> yes, have some. Yes, have some. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> so Rick Moranis. Yeah, yeah. I say it all the time I if I'm too. at dinner and somebody offers me something, yeah. I go, yes, have some. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Jake Ingram. Neil Wright. Derek Horvath. Samuel Charles Watkins. Michael Serrano. Peter. With an exclamation mark. Like airplane. Uh, Kristen Staten. Donald Smith. Peter R. Casey Bruce. Hassan Abushaban. Megan Geiger. Oh. Jacob Rains. Eric Rexstad. Grant Clare. Neil Allen. David McElroy. Oh, and you can't forget about Matthew Geese. Wait, that's not one of the McElroy brothers, is it? I hope not. Create, I don't know them. Create till death. Cameron McNutt. Lost and found. Tim Green. And finally... Go Garcia, which I gather is a spoonerism for Joe Garcia, and I appreciate that. <laughs> that was fun. Thank you, Patreon subscribers. Oh, thank you so much. Big time. Really means so much. Okay. What's your best kill? Uh, Subway kill. Mm, yeah. I, I, I really was, like that. That was my runner-up to just Jack. Oh, to Jack. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what do you think I meant? Like to just jack to? Yeah. When you're like, just jack to. There was a, we did talk about, there is a funny joke when the, the Porto Theater where he's turned into a wolf that they don't really hit the nail on the head. But there is a joke about a guy in a Porto Theater in the back row is going like, Ooh-ah! Yeah. Ah! I know. Why didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, wait, what were we just saying though before that? Uh, oh, um, best death? No, when you said, Jack. To Jack, too? 
Oh, yeah. What's a dick for? To pee with. <laughs> yes. Another land is class. <laughs> All right. Spies with us. Yeah. Spies with us. <laughs> oh, man. It's been they long. are with us. So 13 out of 13, um, our highest rated film so far is Gremlins, I believe. Um, I won't recap all we of them. We are the Gremlins now. Yes, the Gremlins now. You Look. gave that a 13 out of 13. I gave it an 11.5 out of 13. Okay. Mm. I think I know. You know, I just want to say ahead of time, I know we might do a recap on how we rank all these 10 movies. Mm-hmm. They might not line up with the scores that I give them, you know, like. But you know what? I think that's like only human. Yeah. Because it's the idea that after you saw everything, things kind of got. Yeah. You were able to compare and contrast a little differently. Okay. I think I got it. Yeah, I got mine. I'm going to go 12. I'm going to go 12 too. I love it. So I never gave a 13 this time. So there's a lot of pressure on scanners for next week. (laughs) (laughs) I think that is this maybe the first no, I don't think I gave Nightmare any 13s. Right. But Alien... You just kissed the mic. <laughs> but I don't know if Friday 13th did either. I must have. Part 2? Oh. Part 2, I, I gave it a 13. I think I did too, but I don't know. Well, there it is. Yeah, that was fun. Wow. I'm, I don't know because I pressed pause on every pee break what time level we're at, but... If I can't get this thing compressed under 500 megabytes, which Patreon requires... I think I can. And what and then and and if you have to, what what do we lose from that? Do some of the birds sounds behind us? We lose those. I bet nothing noticeable because we're not working on a high dynamic range here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean what, maybe it'll work. Even for my us. low lows or my high highs. What about my Oz voice? We'll go from the high to low register oh, like it's now needs that's to. maybe reason enough we have to put this into three parts just to up <laughs> the audio quality. But, but can you believe in next week's scanners? I know. It's the last one. We don't even have to randomly draw. We know. Yeah. And so you and I, by next week, have to figure out what the I next season is going to be. We haven't talked about it yet. And when it's going to be. We haven't talked about I that know. yet. So we'll, we'll think about that over the next week and have that solution for you next week. Yeah. And when we get off mic here, I get to tell you the dirty joke that I thought of around the dick fur part that I just didn't say. Because okay. I was like, I don't want to end it with my dirty joke. But I'm excited. I have a dirty joke for you. All right. Well, that means I got to get out of here, guys. I got a dirty joke waiting for me. (laughs) Okay. Bye. Bye. For more Gorley and Rust content, head over to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early, plus monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Gorley, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Ken. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.